Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to the man who brings the magic sauce, the innovation consultant, Mr. Yuri Shilders. I took a lot away from this one. I really enjoyed chatting to Yuri and I'm sure you're going to listen, enjoy listening to it. If this is the first time you're here, I wish you a very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm sure you will. If you do, let me know your favorite bit on social media at 10Q Interview everywhere you may look. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you are listening to this. If you want some bonus points, any reviews or ratings that you want to share are most appreciated. It would mean the world to me. I know I'm asking for a lot, but it would mean the world to me. And I'm sure Yuri as well. If you share this episode far and wide, there is probably at least one person you'll think of when listening to this who would benefit from also hearing it. Make sure to let them know. Anyway, that's enough from me. Now onto the good stuff. Now onto the podcast. Yuri, a very warm welcome to 10Q Interview. Thank you for joining me. How are you today? I'm, I'm very good, Chris. Thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited. Good. Well, that's the best way to be. Am I right in thinking you're in the, in the Netherlands? I am in the Netherlands, that's right. I also like the fact you said the Netherlands and not Holland. It's like England versus the UK. It's not the same. Is it not? <laughs> Just Well, the whole, the whole country is called the Netherlands. There's two provinces that are called North and South Holland. And even in colloquial English, you can say Holland. I'm actually from the countryside, so I'd be considered uh, not from Holland. I'm from the Netherlands. So you said that right. Okay. I learned something already. Might as well call it a day. Um, whereabouts where in the Netherlands are you? I'm from uh, south of Utrecht in a place called, in a, in a small city called Den Bosch. It's north of Eindhoven, south of Utrecht. So I'm in the, in the beautiful, balmy, sunny south where it's been raining for <laughs> I don't know how many days. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay, let's crack straight on. Yuri, you meet a stranger and they ask you what you do. What is it you're most likely to say to them? I'm going to tell them that I help people create, build and share better ideas. I used to waffle on for like paragraphs after paragraphs around what I did as an innovation consultant or innovation catalyst. Now I just say I'm very good at helping people create stuff, then turn it into something that you can actually go and do and turn into something that's meaningful and then share it with the world. That's what I do. Is it is it strange that it's quite a skill to boil down what you do into two or three sentences? Well, you just mentioned uh, Andy Reid from the previous uh, uh, one of your previous episodes, Andy Reid told me that once that for him to talk about his business and what he does took him, I remember him saying that, it just took me two and a half years to mm. boil it down to kind of it's what I do. And I would have to say I'm even slower than Andy. It took me years to boil it down to something really simple. I think it's quite easy to get lost in words or, or trying to sound clever or trying to make sure that you include everything so you don't miss out on stuff. But at the end of the day, if you can boil it down to something really simple, everybody gets, you know, do the mum test, do the do the friend test, somebody doesn't work in your industry, do they get what you do? Yeah. If that's a yes, I think you're onto something. Uh, so do I. It's, it's just kind of amazing. I do the same thing. And I, weirdly, I bumped into someone that I'd not seen in like 15 years the other day. And they're like, oh, what are you up to these days? And I went on this random like five-minute monologue. <laughs> I, I don't know if it, I, I kind of went home that night. I was laying in bed thinking, oh, my God, like, what am I doing? <laughs> and, and did they get what you do? I don't know. I just, it's strange. I, I made a meal of it when it's not really that complex. But yeah. Like I think to, we all do. We do. Yeah. So go on in, in a bit more depth. What do you do? So I work with clients, typically big business, uh, around the innovation challenges. So what that means is they usually, they either have a problem they want to have solved. So creative problem solving, so to say, Okay. or they need to tread into 
the murky waters of innovation, something new. We need to rethink our business. We need to rethink the way we talk to customers. We need to rethink the way we package our products. We need to rethink our product pipeline to come up with something new or else we're going to be irrelevant in a couple of years. Those are the typical kind of briefs. And that's, okay. that's kind of all over the board. I've worked with services, finance, um, FMCGs, governments. And usually the follow-up question is, well, what do you know about all those industries? And I usually go, not that much. But if you boil it down, most of the, the challenges in business, if you boil it down, there are only a handful of challenges people see. So very often what we do is taking things we've, we've done and seen elsewhere and yep. apply that to, in this case, like this client or this project. So that's what it is. It's that creative, creative thinking around business challenges. We have a process uh, which is no, no, not that much different from other companies' processes, but it's a simple process which, which fits on top of everything else. We we work with clients to go through that. So we're not the clever ones necessarily coming in saying, here's a solution. What we do is we work with their people because they're the experts. Yep. Um, the flip side of that is that expert thinking has usually gotten them into, has gotten them stuck. Right? And what we tend to do very well is get them unstuck, re reframe the way they look at things and therefore come up with new solutions, be it products, services, processes, things like that. How does how does one get into a, a career like that? <laughs> really randomly actually really randomly i uh first of all uh, when i was about eight nine my dad already told me that i should never work for for somebody else i should work for myself and and i, I think what he meant to say was i don't think he meant it as a compliment it was more of a you know you think you know everything better yourself which he was right you know years later i do work for myself i i've rolled into it i think it was a bit of a having a vivid imagination as a kid coming from an entrepreneurial family I think that definitely helped having some of the opportunities, seeing some of the things I saw growing up. We did things quite differently. To give an example, in our family, like if you wanted to make if you wanted to make some money or learn about business, my parents would set it up for us so we could, not okay. by giving money, but more like learn how to write a business plan, go make a case. So how are you going to price this stuff? To learn about P&L. Okay, so you now have a product. You want to sell whatever, second-hand envelopes. How are you going to put that out into the world? Who are you going to sell it to? What's your pricing going to be? Okay, well, you need to think about cost. How does that work? And we were just always tickled to think that way. I think that really helps. Uh, and and a bit of a uh, bit of an ingrained kind of, I've always wanted to be, you know, a bit of a rebel. Maybe I was, maybe I just pretended to be. I don't know what it was. At the end, it kind of all morphed into one. Yeah. So you get this, I guess, a profile that has a bit of madness versus measure, which you say, so you... The madness is the creative side, the, imaginat the imaginative side. And the measure is then the, it, if it's just all creative and it can get a bit, it can get a bit woo-woo. So how do you turn it into something that's actually practical? Yeah. Because just having creativity alone is not going to do anything. So that's, that's where the measure comes in, kind of the, the rigor with the creativity. And then I lived in China and I speak fluent Mandarin. I was an interpreter, translated Mandarin. So there was an agency, an innovation agency that looked for somebody that had the creative side yeah, not crazy enough so you could still put them in front of clients yeah. and could do all that in Mandarin. And But those three filters, there's not that many people that could do that. So ended up in my lab and I learned um, I learned the tricks of the trade over there, which is wonderful. I've had some great peers and and, uh, and mentors in my world to teach me teach me some of the tricks, but a lot of the mindset I had since I was a kid. Try something new, take a risk, you know, who cares? What's the worst that can happen? You yeah. Know? That, that really helps because you have to be able... I, I said before, the murky waters of innovation, to do something new is risky, is always a bit scary, particularly when you're a big business, where there's money on the line, where there's careers on the line. And what we usually tell our clients is 
look, when you want to tread into something new and something different, of course, that's scary. You want to de-risk that. We are very comfortable in the murky waters. That's what we do. Yeah. Uh, do we have all the answers? No. Um, but if you are going to venture out and try something new and different, we've got over a decade of experience in doing that. And we've got some tools and experiences. But it's still, it's still a bit of a risk. And you need a certain mindset that's, that's comfortable with that risk. There's so many questions I've got from that <laughs> speech. As a parent, I really like what you said about how your parents took you on that entrepreneurial journey and, and the rest of it. And, it. and the reason it interests me is because I don't think a lot of parents do that. Uh, do you look back fondly on that? Do you look back as a, as a positive thing? I, I, well, absolutely. Uh, first okay. of all, I've had a great childhood. Uh, my parents were strict, n- not in an o- like in not an overly strict way, but we had very clear guidelines growing up. Very kind of uh, old school parents of we had to be in bed at a certain time, no TV uh, while we we're eating, like those kind of things. Like kind of kind of wholesome family yeah. rules and regulations, which is good. But at the same time, also this push of going, um, both mom and dad, my dad more than my mom. But both of them going, you don't have to walk the same route as all your friends. As in, of course, you can get an education. You live in the Netherlands. It's, it's basically free. You can choose whatever you want. We're very privileged to live in, a, in, in an environment where we can pick whatever we want. You can be wherever you want to be. Yeah. But it's also like, hey, if you don't want to do that, that's cool. There's other ways to, to lead a life. It does not mean a job. There's nothing wrong with a job. I'm not poo-pooing on it. I'm just saying that we were raised in a slightly different way. But that also came with a price. So I remember... I was 15, 16. I played in a band and uh, I was going to be a rock star. And I told my mom, like, why do I need school? School's stupid. Teachers are stupid. Um, the whole institution is stupid and they're telling me what to do. I know exactly what I want to do. I'm going to be a rock star. And by the time I'm 18, I just sign my name and people just, woo, you know, I'll just get like a million bucks. <laughs> and uh, and my, my mom was very sweet. My mom said, um, okay, that, that, that's cute, sweetheart, that you want to be a rock star. Look, just in case you two don't call you or Green Day don't call you for their world tour, just in case, you know, why don't you get a degree anyway? Just do it for me. My mom said, just do it for me. Just get the piece of paper and you can do whatever you want, which is a good point in all fairness, because I, I do think this is a time where a lot of people believe education is nonsense and it's unnecessary. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's being exploited in certain countries more than others. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with an education. But it was my mom's. So mom was a bit more like, why don't you do it for me? Just just, just go get it. You know, a bit of a safety net. Of course, that's what, you, that's what you want as parents, I'm sure. My dad was more like, okay, you want to be a rock star. How much money have you made with your band? I'd be like, 50 bucks. <laughs> he goes, a month. I'm like, yeah, a month. He goes like, okay, well, that's not going to pay you much. So why don't you show me that you can make enough income being a musician. You can do whatever you want. That's it. Just, just. Proofs in the pudding. So I, I got that from home. So I, I did get the whole, yes, you can do other things. You don't have to, you have to walk the, uh, the predictable route. But at the same time, you got to have to be practical about things. You know, yeah. don't, don't be, don't be, uh, I was definitely a dreamer, head in the clouds. And I think what was often the, the, the pushback I got from them is like, you know, get your head out of the clouds and be a bit more practical. But you can do these things, but you got to work for stuff. You have to think things through. And I think those two things are very useful. And back to your question, I look back at it really fondly. And I think the reason a lot of parents might not give that to their kids, because maybe they didn't have the experience. A lot of my friends, their parents have had, most of them are retired, but have had jobs. 
yeah. steady jobs for 25 years. I don't think that the young generation is going to have that. I don't know how old your kids are. The, you know, the next generation is going to have three, four jobs. It's not going to be the 25-year career anymore. So this entrepreneurial mindset and being able to look after yourself a bit more with a level of critical thinking and creative thinking, I think is more important now than ever before. Um, and I'm, I'm very, I'm very glad, uh, you know, some people say blessed. I don't like that word, but I'm very fortunate. I've been raised in an environment where that was fostered, where we had the, the means to do that mm. um, from parents who, who've, who'd done it. You know, my, it's just family business. The, the word entrepreneur didn't really exist. And it yeah. wasn't a good thing. It wasn't like, oh my God, you work for yourself. It's amazing. And you're, you're like hashtag hustle, hashtag Gary V. Half the stuff Gary V says, by the way, my dad already told me this 30 years ago, yeah. just that he didn't put it on social media. So good for Gary V. But I, I had some of that stuff already uh, growing up, uh, which has definitely helped uh, in what I do now. Sounds like a good balance, at least. I think so, yeah. Yeah. That's what you make of it as well. And did Billy Joe ever call? Uh, no, he didn't actually. He was he was good enough by himself. He didn't need me. <laughs> <laughs> you too, however, the edge is uh, that's no. Um, I, I did play in bands for many many years. Uh, never made money. Uh, funny funny add on to that story is, I got to a point with a band, not not a professional band, like just an amateur band, where we had an opportunity to play a lot, like two hundred gigs a year for a bit of money. Not not big money, but money. And I I talked to. Uh, this other band of these guys I, I I met, I don't know them well, but I remember this semi-professional band. They had the first record deal signed and they were playing 200, 230 gigs a year. And they hated it. <laughs> it was a job. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that fun. It, for me, it wasn't, I didn't think that through. I just liked the image of, you know, the leather jacket and the Billy Idol hair and playing in the band. It's hard work. You know, any, I mean, respect for musicians that have been playing for so many years. It's, you know, if you can do it that long, I mean, power to you i don't i don't think i could have done it i think i, I didn't think that one through no i mean i guess you, you, you're pretty much on the road every every week yeah. aren't you yeah and I, I don't think it'd be that special anymore what we what i realize is we like playing because we played once a month yeah you know, once or twice a month at a pub for all your friends plus their friends so if on a good night we'd have like 100 people in the bar and just let's have a good let's have a good night with like friends there and stuff that's all we wanted at the end of the day you know do you still Make play now, even if just casually? I've stopped. I've stopped actually, but I've stopped for a couple of years. I just kind of, I didn't feel like like trading any music, but I bought a guitar last month, two months ago. Okay. So I'm getting, I'm slowly getting back into it. I don't know what I'll do. I don't know I'll go back and playing with a band. Although I think playing in a band for, for, for you kids out there, or even adults, I think playing in a band and making something together with other people, creating something, whether that's an experience or a bond or, I think is one of the most magical things there. And it doesn't have to be music. You could do something else. But I think if you, if you gather around with a couple of companions or people with a, who want to who who set out to do something, go on a bit of a journey and create something, I think that's that's magical. And I hope every child has that, whether that's sports, whether it's music, arts, whatever it is. Because uh, there's, there's a lot of learning in there. I had, I had the exact, this exact conversation with someone not long ago about how when you're younger and you play in team sports, you have that same mentality and you you bond together and you learn together and you and then as you get older you sort of drift away from that a little bit and it's actually a bit rubbish but then yeah. when you look back on it you think oh do you know what? it's there's a lot to be said for that i i agree what did you play growing up i played football i okay. didn't play any music um, yeah nice but 
you know, I look at sort of people, friends and, and relatives who still do that on a, on a, and they have that sense of community and they have that sense of that shared bond, right. Of winning and losing. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's something you sort of grow out of, unfortunately, but I think, I think so. I totally think so. Here's a fun fact. Well, I've got you here. What I've been doing is uh, I've got cassettes. These are old band cassettes from 1993. Nice. Think about that. How way. old are you? You don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm 45. I'm almost 46. So 1993, I'm yeah. 16 years old, 15, same, 16 same years old. And uh, I've got these old cassettes, uh, which I've I've kept for years and I hadn't heard them for years. And I bought a, uh, it's basically it's a Walkman with a USB cable. So I'm nice. converting them to a garage band into uh just is noise. that you playing? Is it? Yeah, it's our band playing. It's oh, like cool. Rage Against the Machine covers and, and Chili Peppers <laughs> and things like that, which is is genius. Um, it, it sounds terrible, but it's it's just fun. And what I'm doing is because a lot of the old guys I'm still in touch with, they haven't heard this stuff in probably since. Yeah, and they probably don't know I still have it. So I'm kind of I'm working on remastering it, putting it all together, and then sending people uh, copies of just some of the highlights of it. And I've got some old videos, like old camcorder videos as oh, well. Wow. And it's just it's just magical to have something like that. That's part of a part of a story, and yeah, I mean, you must have had this with football. Like I said, it's it's this companionship. It's together doing something uh, that's uh, physical or creative, yep. um, which um, that I think that experience just lasts forever. And I think it's I hope everybody has that once in their life, even if it's with one other person. But do something with somebody else. Create something that's bigger than you. Yeah, see, they say the same about business, don't they? I mean, I currently work on my own for myself. Yeah. And strangely, this podcast thing is my way of actually talking to more people. That's one of the reasons I started it, because I wanted to have that uh, shared experience with people, just even just a regular, you know, you miss that when you're not in an office and you're not just chatting, that, that random conversation you have with so-and-so in accounts that you bumped into on the way to the toilets yep. or whatever, like you, you know, and you, you sort of take it for granted when you're working in an office. And then all of a sudden when Agreed. you don't and you work at home, it's a bit weird. So so how do you deal with that? I have a network of people. I, I call them kind of, I call them PEBs, personal energy boosters. I just made that word up. But basically my point is I've got a couple of people around me uh, that, I, that I approach for different things. Yeah. Uh, banter, cat videos, something. Just have that on a regular basis. How do you yeah, do that? Yeah, so I... I I had similar, I guess is the way of putting it, but they, I, I was in this weird place where I was on my own. So I'm a parent and I'd see all this stuff on LinkedIn and Twitter and elsewhere. I was like, it doesn't really relate to me because I want to, I want to speak to people in a similar situation. Uh, and I, and I put it out there actually. And then a few people came back and we started this, this group. And, and now I've got, I've got three or four people now, which I have sort of regular, I don't chats with i guess like i didn't want a mentor as such i didn't want a coach i didn't i just wanted someone just to chat with who's doing the same things but i think it's important i think it's really if there's anyone out there who's not doing something is working on their own it's, it's a lonely business sometimes and i think even if it's just chatting about a problem you're having or even a, a win a success whatever it might be i think it's it's really quite important i i agree and i think you, you i think you can find those people uh, around you, I'm sure you have them already. Yeah. What's work? What's worked for me is to structure that. So there's this one uh, one gentleman called Mark. He's a he's a good friend of me now. He's a YouTuber like me. He's got a YouTube channel. He talks about service design. I talk about innovation on my channel. Um, saw one of my videos. Or I watched one of his. We reached out. We kind of started chatting. And ever since we've been talking, 
since uh, 2019, actually, something oh, like okay. that. And uh, it's not that long, but what we do is because we have a similar kind of point of view in business, we're very different in many other ways, but we have bi-weekly calls. It's not really a mental call because we're, we're peers, yeah. but we just make it a point of every two weeks, we have an hour long call where we go, let's talk about how to say no to clients. Let's talk about how to build communities. Sometimes it's just a, hey, let me tell you about this new camera I bought, you know, nerding out on gear. But we do that consistently, and that's that's very nice because not only does it build a bit of a bond, I think there's a bit of accountability. Uh, on, that's on exactly what I was going to ask you about the accountability to, to show up. Side of- yeah, so we show up, right? You you show up for those calls. We we make it a we make it a habit. It's like every two weeks, it's in the calendar. We've missed I've missed one once because I was on vacation. I really lost track of time. That happens, but outside that, we've been doing the same thing for a couple of years now, and it's super useful. And it doesn't always have to be like a really firm agenda. It's not that we sit down and go, okay, let's do introductions first and let's then go through the week. Sometimes it's just, hey, let me tell you about this email I got today. <laughs> this yeah. is really weird. Or I'm struggling to find a structure in this new something I'm putting together. It could just be that. Every two weeks we do that. And then I've got a handful of other people that I can quickly tap into. I'm very I'm very vocal on things like WhatsApp through videos and voice messages. Okay. To such a point where in 2020... I put together a program together with Leanne, one of my business partners in Australia, who until recently I had actually never physically met. So in the middle of COVID, she reaches out. She goes, okay, I want to build this program for people who facilitate, but they're all struggling to facilitate online with video and how to use microphones, how do you how do you become more animated, things like yeah. that. I want to put together a program. Are you interested? Now, I had only seen her LinkedIn comments. I actually didn't even know her. But we basically put together an entire program just through WhatsApp messages, no emails, none of that stuff. We build a quick landing page. We got 50 people, paying people, signing up. We put together a program. So it's a good example of how you can actually can do that with the people around you. And now because we've we've built something together, there's a bit of a bond. It's it's an easy person to check in, kind of go, hey, I need three ideas yeah, for this. Yeah. Or it's it's just it's very impromptu. That's what I'm trying to say. As as much as it is somehow really structured. I think but you have those people around you. you. Well, you do, and I think, but I think it's important because the people who I do have around me in my day-to-day life are not those people. Like, for instance, my wife, who obviously I love dearly, she's a solicitor, right. and a bit different. She's not in that creative space. She's not in that mindset. So, speaking to her about things, as as good a listener as she attempts to be, it and is, it's not the right person to have that conversation with because it's just. I mean, don't get me wrong. She adds value sometimes. Like she will look at it from a different lens, and she'll say, "Well, for sure, do this." But then there's other people who, and like my friends, I don't have many entrepreneurial friends, right? So to find these people, like social media, will get a bad rap a lot of the time. You know, people will slag it off, but actually, it is a good place to find those little communities of people who are doing the same thing as you, who are having the same struggles and the same yep. joys and all sorts. So, yeah, it's, it's it's a big big thing, and it's. They they're definitely they are definitely out there. Sorry to interrupt. They are definitely out there, and I think you probably already have them on your radar and through your yeah. network. Uh, if there's somebody you click with, they don't have to be exactly the same. I mean, I have friends I know who are just hypercritical. I have one of my friends is a lovely guy, but if you ever want to find out what's wrong with your life, ask him because he'll tell you, <laughs> or with whatever plan is. But th- those people are super important as well because, for instance, if I prepare for a client pitch or we pitch an idea. He's a perfect person to ask. He's yeah. very intelligent and he can give you 20 reasons why that's absolutely going to fail or why the numbers don't add up or why, you know, 
you need those people as well. But if you look at your network, even if it's online, find somebody you enjoy engaging with, some of their posts, maybe some of yours, yeah. and give it a go. Kind of go, like, hey, you know, would you be interested in just having having a chat? And maybe just set out to do three for the next three weeks. We're going to do this. We're going to have a chat. See whether we like this. I wouldn't even make it a big. I would just do one on one because you can't no. really hide. Because if it gets to a group, it becomes big, and you get everybody's agendas that comes in, it gets in the way, and. No, I agree. And you know, weirdly, it's something I am thinking about a lot this year because I think it's the thing that makes a difference between last year for me was a little bit of a coast coasting year. I didn't really get done what I needed to get done or want to get done. And I think that that lack of accountability sometimes it's very easy when you you know to, to yourself to just go, oh, I'll do it next week or I'll do it next month or whatever. So, yes. Um, every day you're gonna to have to pick yourself up. Every day you're gonna to have to get up and go. I'm gonna to have to do it, Chris, because at the end of the day, you're gonna to have to do it, and nobody else cares. And if you don't do it, then nobody's gonna notice anyway because you're just no. by yourself. <laughs> so that's why I do, I do, I do silly things. Like I had it once with a website I was gonna build, and I was just, I, I, it's just like a like a like a landing page. It wasn't even complex. I just, I just had to sit down and get it done for a couple of hours. And I hadn't for months. I've been talking about it. So at one point, I reached out to a friend of mine in Vietnam. We were talking about something. Say, hey, by the way, so on Friday, <clears throat> on Friday before three o'clock, I'm going to send you a link to my new website, and it will be working. Not not wordsmithed everything, but it will be like a working landing page. Uh, if not, I'm going to give you a thousand bucks. Done. But we need it's we done. need those timelines. We need those deadlines, don't I agree. we? And and those. I was chatting to someone about this actually yesterday it's parkinson's law right we can make our uh tasks fit any timeline yes if you give yourself half an hour or you give yourself three days you will make is that what it's called parkinson's law yeah i made up my own word for that i i it was called the koi fish principle as in koi fish if you put them in a big pond they get bigger yeah if you keep them in a small pond they say smaller same with time yes yeah, it's, it's parkinson's law it's called and it's so true <laughs> it is true yeah <laughs> Um, so shorter t- shorter timelines really work. At least for me, they do. I kind of want to ask you. You keep saying things. I keep having this train of thought of questions I want to ask you, and then you say something else. I'm like, oh, I got to ask you that as well. Um, oh, very quickly, you said about just clarify for me what you said about living. Did you were you living in China, and yes. you learned Mandarin? No, so I studied Mandarin in the Netherlands. So okay. I was going to be a rock star. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And at one point, when you get to a certain age, they start asking you, so what do you want to do after secondary school? What do you want? What do you want to be? What kind of job do you want? I had no idea. So I, at one point, after pursuing a couple of different things, I said, look, uh, I actually not pursuing, but kind of thinking about some different options. At one point, I ended up with languages. I'm like, look, I've always been really good with languages, as in I find it easy to learn them. I enjoy learning languages because it helps me connect with people. If you, yeah. if you boil it down, it's all about... I would find it easy to connect with people. And if language becomes a barrier in that, I'm just going to learn the language so we can still speak and okay. make other people feel comfortable. Anyway, there's kind of, there's, there's a deeper psychological reason. But I was like, let's do a language, you know, let's study a language. But if you're Dutch and you speak, for instance, French and German, nobody's going to applaud you. Like if you're at a party, you kind of, oh, speak two languages. Like half our nation is like, sure. <laughs> like, and you're not special. You're not special, you're not. Uh, so then let's let's do a language, but let's then pick one that's that's a bit that's a bit different. Uh, and Mandarin is, I think, Mandarin is arguably one of the most different languages in at at any level. Mm-hmm. And that's what I went for. And in all fairness, the, the real reason I went for it because I was much more interested in 
kind of the bragging rights at a party. As in, so what do you do? You're like, Mandarin. I don't believe you in like write something and say something. Like I, I liked it more for that reason. But I studied it in the Netherlands. So it's a it's a proper four year university. Mandarin for international business Just was straight in straight Mandarin, not like with something. So with something. So the other half was international business and international law. And the reason okay. behind that is because language in itself without context doesn't make a lot of sense. Yes. And this school was geared towards trade negotiations and you know, China had not joined the World Trade Organization yet at that point. This is the 90s. And a lot of the the conversations, the kind of the formal conversations were around trade. So party one, the Netherlands orders a shipment of tires from China, et cetera, is those kind of negotiations that what we were trained to do. So half of it is language and culture. The other half is things like international law and import-export management and things like that. So did that for four years, did my third year, half year in Beijing exchange program, which is very cool. Loved it. Applied for a scholarship after I graduated. And to my surprise, I got it. And the reason I say to my surprise, I got it because I got kicked out of school when I was like 12. And if you'd ask any of my older teachers, they would be very surprised that I, <laughs> that I got a scholarship. But it was one of these things that I think I, f I found what I enjoyed doing. And I think by that time I was a bit more serious. I th at least I think I was. So I went for it. I applied for a scholarship. I got it. And I got to study for free. Paid for by the Dutch and Chinese embassies. Studied in Beijing. I went to university over there. I was going to stay for a year. Stayed for 15. <laughs> that wasn't the plan, but stayed a bit longer than I expected. And then after I went, from, I went to Beijing, went to school there. Did a short stint in London, London to Shanghai, Shanghai to Singapore, where I've been the last nine years. And only this year we moved back to the Netherlands. So I've been away for, I had been away for about 25, 24 years, something wow, like that. So it's been a while. That's a very cool story. It's, it's kind of amazing. <clears throat> it highlights how applied one can be when they're doing something they, they feel passionately about. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think, look, the cool, the cool thing about a language is, Somebody once told me that for, for every language you speak, you, you lead another life. And it's true. You, it, it just opens up so many doors for you. Uh, and it gives you just, just, just this immense appreciation of culture. Because you cannot really speak a language well if you don't understand the culture, you know, cultural nuance. Yeah, yeah. It's the same reason as if a Dutch person with a British person speaks and the Brit goes, hmm, that's interesting. The Dutch goes, oh, he thinks it's interesting. <laughs> the Brit might not mean that at all. <laughs> Probably not. So culture and nuance really matters. And I think you just get this, at least I got a lot of appreciation for uh, not only kind of my background and my culture, but also theirs and kind of understanding that there is no black and white, everything is nuanced. And it's given me really wealth of experience that I, I can't even summarize in, the, in a short time, but it's just, it's been brilliant living that. I'm, I'm very happy I did. No, it's just, I, it's kind of, it's one of those stories that actually, you said earlier about standing out in parties, you know, and everyone speaks French and German and you wanted to stand out. But the knock-on effect of that is you've had a standout career and a standout journey. You know, there's not many people who, I bet from your circle of Dutch friends who have spent 20 plus years in Asia and London and, and the rest of it, right? Well, you say that. Oh, really? <laughs> you say that. So uh, my, my brother... Uh, has been living in the Czech Republic for about 25 years. Okay. Uh, he's a field hockey player, got injured, uh, wanted to go to the Olympic Games and got injured and then couldn't play at that same uh, professional level anymore. And then moved to Prague in the, in the mid-90s, uh, drove his car. Again, my parents had some business in Eastern Europe, so 
when the Berlin Wall fell down, my parents went into Warsaw and Prague and Budapest and, and Moscow, a small business selling uh, trainers, selling shoes, which okay. were made here in the south of the Netherlands. Basically, so my brother had a bit of a, uh, I guess, a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a hurdle, as in the, the trajectory he was on was not going to happen anymore. So yeah. let's do something different. I think my mom and dad were like, "Well, why don't you go do something different?" Again, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to stay here. You can do something else. Like Eastern Europe is super booming. It's going to be interesting in the next so many years. In the mid '90s, he basically drove his car to Prague, uh, stood in the phone booth for a couple of weeks, and just called companies and said, "Hey." Um, Look, my name is Gino. I've got this and this degree, and I'm looking for a job. And he finally ended up working with, uh, I think his first job was with Metro. It's like a retailer, a wholesaler, basically. Uh, my sister went from France to Spain, lived in Canary Islands for five years, and then moved on to Indonesia for another 15 years or 20 years or something. So in my family, it's quite normal, I think. Yeah. It's, it's not, anybody who knows my family will be like, yeah, that's in your family, that makes sense. It's not the standard, but it's uh, no, no. We're, we're we're slightly different. That's cool, though. I mean, that's that's. So for us, I it's like quite it. normal as well. We talk about it. If it's like, yeah, sure. I just I just moved to a different city. Let's move to a different country. And even now, I'm like, I don't like the weather in the Netherlands. I'm like, let's move to Mexico. Oh yeah, <laughs> but I guess you can, right? These days, you can do that. The, the, the way work is, the way technology is. Yeah, but I, I'm just interested in this sort of stuff. Like as I said, as a parent, how do I? I I would probably call myself not normal in that regard, right? I mean, that okay. whole sort of um, office-based nine to five just scares. I mean, I've done it for many years over, you know, but it just I, I didn't like it, I hated it. And as you become a parent, you start having this different frame of mindset because you you want to pass on to your kids good things and he's trying to think of these things so hearing stories about how you were growing up with your you know and your brother and sister yes it might not be normal but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing there's part of me would think that normal has its own issues sure it all cool. does. it's very it's very uh good to hear it, I, I think it i think it all does i think it's uh, uh i mean you, t- you you talk about your kids and, and by the way it's interesting that you say you know that you think you fit that mold of basically saying, oh, you know, I had a job in this, system. but you made a jump clearly. You, you yep. did something differently and you are on a, on a different trajectory right now. And the, and the fact that you're searching for something new and different, that means you're going to find new doors. All the ones, other ones will close. You're going to have to shut a few of them because you can't do everything at the same time. Yep. But I think it's super exciting. And I think you doing just this being on your journey sounds like you're setting a great example for your kids already. Because <laughs> at the end so. of the day... She- she well, asked me at the end of the day the, the the main thing you can do as a parent is is lead the way you know they're going to emulate what you do and if and if you your whole life is like no just don't rock the boat be safe sit still your kids probably going to be like that and you can do the same thing the other way around so funnily enough i was i said to you earlier about andy reed's episodes going live tomorrow yeah and obviously before i put anything live i listen to it through again to make sure that you know it's it's all good and I, I was doing it in the car this morning with my daughter, taking her to school. And I did it last week with the guests that last week. I I finished listening to it on the morning. And she's like, Daddy, uh, who's, who, who are you talking to? I was like, oh, that's Andy Reid. And she goes, oh, and you were talking to Rebecca Roberts last week, weren't you? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, Daddy, when I'm older, can I speak to lots of people like you do? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you can do whatever you want to do. Of course you can. She's like, oh, yeah. that's really good. I said, like, have you had a, she's five, by the way. She's, I said, oh, have you had a, do you, do you think about what you want to do when you're older? She says, yeah, yeah. She says, I want to be police. 
Oh, like, nice. okay. yeah. There you go. <laughs> And it will change another five times anyway. So. Of course, of course. I mean, on that subject, you said something else which I kind of want to pick your brains about or, or ask you about. You said about your YouTube. You're into YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. I didn't realize that in my research. I didn't, my limited research, I didn't see that. Tell me about your YouTube channel. Uh, I have a magic uh, I have a magic channel. <laughs> I have a channel called The Magic Source. So my company is called The Magic Source. Yep. Uh, the reason it's The Magic Source is because when it comes to innovation and kind of problem solving for clients, what I usually say is, that's what everyone's looking here. for, isn't it? That's one. I think. Yeah, I hope yeah. so. I, I think the other one is. I usually say, look, we're not here to change your entire business. I'm not going to walk into a business that's been around for 100 years, 50 years, 10 years, and say, let's just all do it completely differently. I'm, I'm not. I'm in no position to do this. I don't even have the power to do this. What we do is add a bit of magic sauce. We sprinkle a bit of that that hot sauce, the spice, that pizzazz on boring ideas or boring strategies or the same old same old insights or the same data that's mm-hmm. what we do yeah we just we spice stuff up is it so, just sorry to interrupt is there please. is there i don't know if you can talk about it or not uh is there one particular innovation you've done for a business somewhere that you're most proud of well one of recent one we're very proud of recent one we worked on a project with um, a big uh, a company that makes cookies and and sweets basically right so mm-hmm. The whole idea was we need to save money. We need to save money on packaging. First of all, it's more sustainable. Like if we can make things lighter uh, and and better materials that are better for the environment. Also, it's money. Yeah, it's cheaper. Yep. If if a container is lighter, then it's better. Shrinkflation uh, is that what you're gonna? Sorry, shrinkflation. Is that what you call it? There's a wonderful word that a word I've never oh, heard of that one. It drives me crazy when you start. As you start getting older, and I said yeah. earlier, you're a similar sort of age to me. You start getting these things where you used to have them when you were kids, and you're like, "Oh, when I was a kid, it was this big," and now you right. get these cookies that are like this. It's like he's paying the same price. The, the tiny, yeah, exactly at the same price. So <laughs> we didn't more. do that. We, we 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 did not we did not touch the actual products. It was all about the kind of the packaging. So the whole brief was around where are we going to save money uh, on on packaging. Right, packaging materials. We work with their engineers. They are lovely people, very good at what they do. And again, what we do is add a bit of magic sauce. We have a, a process to get people to think of new and different ways and quickly generate solutions. What very often happens is you put people in the room with, let's say, a brainstorm, which is a, a brainstorm gets a bad reputation. And I don't think it's the brainstorm that's wrong. It's the people running it very yes, often. Yes, I agree. Brainstorm is just about putting people together to come up with something. That's all it is. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But often when it's facilitated in the wrong way, you might not get the best out of it for a bunch of reasons. But long story short, we got people together and just by probing and asking different questions and bringing in examples from elsewhere. So why don't we look at what this industry is doing? Can we apply that to our world? We came up with a whole range of solutions which are practical because they need to pitch that to senior senior leadership and a short, medium, long-term goals, which saved more than $15 million just by rearranging boxes by making let's say each container four or five percent lighter which doesn't sound like a very creative sexy idea but that's really where the impact is um so the reason i say i'm proud of that because i think 10 years ago i would have gone for something that's more the idea would be more flamboyant i think more kind of shouty kind of cool right now i'm much more like no you know what it's often pretty simple things that do not deviate too much from what you do. They can have the biggest impact. And the reason is because as much as people love to say they innovate, it's risky. And the moment something big and new comes out, the reality is very often with big organizations, it will get kind of whittled down to something that's safe again. And I'd rather start there and say, 
what is something really practically we can do in the next six months, the next 12 months, rather than, you know, ooh, let's think about blue sky for the next five years. And yeah. there's a time and a place for that. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I think for a lot of big business, they are much better off looking at what they have now. Check your fridge before you go to grocery shopping. That's basically mm-hmm. that. So I really like that project because one, they did it, not us. We just we just helped them kind of, we facilitated them through stages and helped them pitch and things like that and get funding. But they did it and the solutions were not radical. They were just really practical. They were like, oh, we never thought about this way. If we put belt A close to belt B, yes, it's going to cost us a couple hundred thousand dollars to reshuffle that, but we're going to get that money back in eight months. Yeah. Is, is those kind of solutions. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that one. I think that was very cool. And I enjoy working with them, still work with them on all the stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, I sorry I interrupted you. You're talking about your oh, YouTube channel and how... So if those are kind of typical projects that we do, yeah, so yep. we want new products, new uh, new products, new um, uh, innovations about people, processes, and products. Sometimes we get briefs like, hey, we've got a uh, creative brainstorm on Friday. Uh, uh, you know, we need ideas for the Easter party in the office. We've got three hours. We have 500 pounds and 50 managers are going to come in. Can you facilitate that? Uh, and I usually go, no. <laughs> It's not because I can't, it's just because that's not what we focus on. We like to focus on bigger, more meaty challenges that usually span over a couple of weeks, if not months, that require this deeper thinking. And again, there is nothing wrong with a creative brainstorm for the office party for Chris's birthday or something like that. I don't think you have to spend money to, uh, to outsource that. I think you could do that yourself. That's where the videos come in. The video started with... All these little requests, which people, frankly, didn't really want to pay for anymore and we didn't really want to do, I created videos about how do you run a brainstorm, kind of the before, during, and after. How do you run a brainstorm that you actually get to ideas? How do you prototype a product? You've got a half-baked idea on a post-it. How do you turn it into something that's physical? How do you run a pre-mortem before you start a complex project? How do you kind of de-risk it before you get some? All these kind of how-to videos I started creating videos about. The difference is there's a lot of people on YouTube that have great content, but are like a bit dry, maybe like a bit, bit old school. I think that you might have gotten away with that ten years ago. I don't think anymore. Yeah. So what I did was kind of the the, the business e esque content with kind of more modern way of editing, whatever, explaining things by using my cat and a cupcake rather than you know a, a Venn diagram and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so they're all kind of they're very lighthearted. Then they're not very complex. And the interesting thing about YouTube is. I've learned, I've been doing this for about five years now, five years and a bit. I, I would have videos in the beginning where I thought, oh, this is just going to, you know, people used to pay us a lot of money for this kind of clever strategic innovation strategy stuff. I guess like 300 views. And then I did a video around whatever here, like three energizers you can play in your next brainstorm on Zoom or something, which got like 350,000 views all of a sudden. So it's very different how the internet works. And what I thought people would really gravitate towards, they didn't and vice versa so that's what it is it's just it's an easy way for me to share stuff so now when people call and they say we've got something i might go you know what don't spend the money i'll send you a link there's a couple of videos you can download stuff you can diy it if you want more give us a call but want to let you know that we don't only work on projects that are this or this big it's an easy way to market yourself it's an easy way to not just reject people but give them something which they can use add value Add value anyway. And it's free. Yeah. I tell people it's free. I've got, what, two, three hundred videos on there. Just the live streams, you name it, podcasts. Do it for free. If you want more, sure. But then we charge for that, which is a fair deal. 
that's what that's for and it's uh, it's a uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting it's like a hobby that kind of grown that has grown into something that's a bit more interesting than i thought it started off as a bit of a dumping ground for the things i don't want to do yeah uh, and now i can see the potential so my next two years will be about really building that online presence where a big chunk of the revenue is going to come from the content rather than the more i guess consulting solutions that i have now would it be fair to say that because someone else was talking about i don't know if you use it as a personal branding term or not but i guess it is to a certain degree but do it you is. think about it like that i don't think about it like that but it it turned out that way that's you know, that's what i was trying to get at because it, you you're one of i think you're the third person who's discussed personal branding but it's something you've sort of fallen into as opposed to actually a specific strategy i i've fallen into it yeah, I've fallen into it because I, I do find when somebody says personal brand, I mean, it, it probably means many things. I know people who spend a lot of time and even money on personal brand that don't have anything to show for. So this is what I was going to say. Right. I was going to say, you're, I think you're the third person who's, and I'm using my air quotations for people who are listening, who's fallen into this personal brand thing. But... It's actually very effective how you're going about it. And it's exactly what I was going to say is it's almost because you fall into it, you're almost doing it for the right reasons as opposed to starting on this personal brand strategy that's potentially a little bit contrived and a little bit, I don't know, there for the sake of it as opposed to actually adding value and doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, I I totally agree with that one. I think a lot of people... Because we live in a we live we do live in a day and age where everybody's their own marketeer and everybody's their own media house and you know certain uh, influencers online tell you that you should put a hundred bits of content online every day. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, it, a lot of people just don't, and I know people who really don't have that much to show for, but put everything on personal brand. I don't think that's sustainable. And if and if it is, hey, you know, congratulations on the hustle. Like I'm not going to shit on it. They they can do what they want. Yeah, I would I would rather have the content of what I've done, the actual value I've brought, which I hope I brought over the last so many years, let that speak for itself. That's, that's, I, what, I that's what the learning is for me over, over this. Yeah. Is that Do good you, work. Yeah. But, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll add one to that one, though, for people listening to this and say, well, wait a minute, with, you know, just do good work, build it and they will come as a terrible strategy. I agree. Uh, build it and they will come does, does not work. And the reason yeah. I say this is because I think, uh, I think it was last year. I, t- I spoke to a group of um, professional speakers and coaches at some professional event years ago. I was talking about video. So the content wasn't innovation. It was more about content creation. And my point to them is, if you're not embracing video or podcasts or, or kind of social media as some way to get your yourself out there, your brand out there, your, your ideas out there, you are going to fall behind. You're like the dinosaur and there's the glacier that's, yeah. that's coming close. That was my point. Because I, I, I am a true believer of that. I, I think that for two reasons. One, because in the next year, another whatever, I'm making this up, 100 million people will get access to the internet through some kind of device, right? which will get cheaper and more people get access to it, particularly as the world is developing. I know it feels like the world is you know, going to shift. The reality is more people are being lifted out of poverty every day. Yeah. So those, those people are going to look for stuff. There's only two main reasons people go online. They, they either want to be entertained or they want to have a problem solved. And you could argue that those are two of the same things as well. 
but they're going to look for something. They're going to look for inspiration or how to set up a business or leadership or innovation or content creation or art, whatever it is. Whoever they find and they can connect with on these devices are going to be their people. And you can be the best speaker on whatever topic with 27 years of experience, having run three Fortune 500 business. People can't find you. you, you it's, I was going to say you're irrelevant. That would be a bit too harsh. But you can see where I'm going with this yeah, one. Yeah. Where whoever hidden, people right? find and connect with, yeah. yeah. And I want people, particularly people who say, well, social media isn't for me anymore because I'm a bit older, because that's no longer my generation. Particularly those people, I want to push to create content. And the reason is because right now the content is in the hands of 24-year-old life coaches, yeah, who are doing amazingly well on, on Instagram. And you know what? Good for them. I mean, if you can build an audience that buys that stuff, you can connect with them. I think that's wonderful. I think more people should do this because right now it's being taken over by a generation who might not have the same experience. And that's why I think, particularly when you have more experience, you should share that with the world. And you shouldn't shy away from technology. Technology is not going to wait for you anyway. No, I, I saw some quote the other day that was something along the lines of, oh, you're embarrassed to put out a video or put yourself on screen or whatever. Good for you. But there's some 25-year-old who couldn't care less what anyone thinks who's making all the money. So it was something along those yep. lines. And it, was, and it sort of hit me a bit. I was like, oh, yeah, that's uh, pretty accurate. I told that I told that group exactly the same thing, and and I've been on a couple of other podcasts, and I realize I say I say this a lot because I am a big believer in this. Um, when people say, "Well, wait a minute, Yuri, what if I put out a video and and I look stupid, or you know, what what if nobody watches it?" and I usually go, "Don't worry, nobody will." Yeah. <laughs> and they go, "Aren't you supposed to like motivate me to do this?" I said, first of all, I'm not a motivational speaker. I don't believe in that. Uh, I think you're gonna have to do it, but understand that nobody cares. The good thing about that is because nobody cares, why not do it anyway? Yeah. Just do it. Who cares? So, so that by he... the time that by the time that somebody picks up, that by the time you do get some kind of attention, you probably have done 50 podcasts already or 50 yeah. videos or 50, whatever it is. Now you've got some confidence and you've got some experience. How wonderful is that? So you know you know who Mr. Beast is, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. So there was some stat with him where he was saying he made videos for seven years that for, for like a thousand people yeah 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 and now he's uh, now he's bigger than half the half the brands in the fortune 500 he's getting more attention more views yeah. more clicks than major major multi-billion yeah. dollar brands out there yeah and i saw i saw a thing he did he said the same thing as you did i saw a video he put out a couple of days ago and he's like the first 10 100 videos you do no one is going to watch it apart from a handful of people, your mum yeah. and your dad and your your best you mate two, and whatever. You three mates, you shame into watching it. Yeah, um, been there. And he said, "That's how you." By learn. the way, to to, you... to 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 my friends who have been watching my content, thank you, <laughs> appreciate that. But it's true, isn't it? And like, I don't know. I don't know if it's the short term world we live in. Everyone wants to be the next Mr. Beast tomorrow and doesn't want to put in the 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 effort. I don't know what it is, but I think that's what it is. I think yeah. it's 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 seen as something that's easy, and I, and I think because we all have this, everybody thinks video is easy. I did a I did a video for a client. I set up a second brand called the Magic Studio, where we work more like creative content for clients. So companies, they want to send out a message, video content, and stuff. And it's one of these moments where the client goes like, "But it's only a forty second video." <laughs> I'm like that yeah. took us three days. 
it takes three days just to put that together and to shoot it and to edit it and get the messaging right, to whittle mm -hmm. it down to only the necessary words. Anybody who's ever created a YouTube video and has, has done like a decent job will tell you that a three minute video can take forever to make. Uh, my girlfriend well, is, and she works on social media. She asked me once a couple of years ago, she were in, when I was still living in Singapore, she said, can I just use your studio to like shoot a quick video? I'm like, you go right ahead. It took us three hours <laughs> just yeah. stumbling over words. That's like Casey Neistat. He um yeah he used to say I mean he used to put our daily for anyone that doesn't know Fox. him he used to put our daily blog but I think it was eight hundred days in a row or something yeah but he often said about how for every thirty seconds of his video it, would, it was like an hour of editing so he's saying like, like if you know if I'm putting out a fire a, a ten minute video I it's like maybe I'm I'm getting it wrong but it's basically like he's doing four um, or yeah, five hours of editing a day. Yeah, my 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 five minute video normally takes about fifteen hours. Yeah, so th three 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 hours a minute, something like that. But it is weird, isn't it? You're right because people probably look at it, and go, "I've got my phone, I got whatever." How how hard can it be? <laughs> cool, then do it. Yeah, oh, no, I... then do it. Just just do it, and and not even that. What they'll realize is creating a video. It's hard in itself. Then you got a video, and you go, oh, "Shit, nobody's watching it." Yeah. Oh, so it's not that easy then, right? No, because every second, like a billion videos are being uploaded. You're in a you're in a sea of sameness and safeness, and everybody takes themselves quite takes themselves quite seriously. Everybody thinks that this is easy. Yeah. Cool. It's like any other job. A couple of people are gonna are gonna survive and and not even survive. They're gonna thrive. They're gonna so be that one percent, aren't they? Yeah. And, and it's it's isn't. it's a worthy cause, and I'm 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 definitely going for that one. But it's a long term strategy. Think about it, I've been going for like five years, and mm. nobody knows me yet. It's it's slowly getting started, but it takes time. But I don't see it as a I need to get this down now. It's a it's my creative. Uh, I guess what music was to me before now is a video. I just enjoy doing it. And uh, if, if you if if yeah it is because if mm. you don't video is you can find easier creative outlets than video it's it's tedious it's uh you, that's my girlfriend she knows <laughs> weekend nights of you know rather than going out to sitting there just just editing or finding that that one cat sound I'm that nerd that will actually for an hour long uh, whatever I'll do like a fake cat I throw it to the window or something like that and I'll, I'll look for the cat sound there's like this database of sounds I'm using where I would just go through it <laughs> one by one find that right sound and. I, I enjoy doing this. And I think you need a level of um, kind of weirdness and, and, and kind of, uh, so what I'm looking for, this kind of Uniqueness. obsession, obsession yeah. to, to do that. Yeah, to, to be able to stick with it because it's not an easy thing, but it's, it's very fulfilling, a lot of fun. And to, to kind of wrap that conversation up, because I think you asked me something similar before how I'm using it. I think last year for the first time, 2021, no, the year before, for the first time there was a, uh, I got a, a a major project in, like a big chunk of my revenue from somebody who'd only seen my videos. So somebody's been watching my stuff. Yeah. Sometimes I put a link to left and right. So you show up left and right, create a bit of value. And the value could just be putting a smile on somebody's face and giving somebody something to think about, like a little, little trick, little tool, something. Don't make it too complex. But over and over, people watch that. And she, she basically has me a massive project which I think she could have easily handed out to somebody else, but because she liked me. And brand building, because we talked about brand building before, uh, I, I, I don't know much about brand, but I, I don't know who told me this. If you look at it like this, people do business or people hang out with people they know, like, and trust, right? Mm -hmm. Know you like trust. You must have heard this one before. Uh, for them to trust you, they have to like you, because if you don't like somebody, 
probably not going to trust them. And for them to like you, they even have to know you. So to my yeah. point before, where there's people who may be degraded something about something, but sit in a little apartment in Aberdeen, you know, the world doesn't know what they what they created. Yeah, that's is very limited. So get out there and just create create value. It's not about you. It's about you know helping somebody else. And by the way, the more I think about this whole people being so aware of themselves, where it stifles them. That's almost a form of narcissism, almost. If you think that you're that important, that you have to think about you know, getting it right first because it's it's perfectionism mixed with it's all about you. But if you start reframing that and you go, it's not about you. And if the content is good, people are not going to watch it anyway. Yeah. So go share your ideas. I mean, stay positive. I hope people want to have a positive impact on the world. Just do it anyway. And that's how you learn because the only way you're going to learn, it's like driving. You're not going to learn driving sitting at home. You're going to get into traffic at some point. As scary as that is. <laughs> yeah. Inspiring stuff, Yuri. I am going to move on to the next question because we are so far in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. one question. Okay. I've got the questions here as well. Yeah. If you weren't an innovation consultant and could do anything, what would it be? I would be a professional internet troll. Would you? I would just troll. I would just professionally troll people and teach people how to troll people. Uh, without being rude or racist or something like that. There's a way to troll people. I think I've learned a lot of that from my British friends who get sarcasm better than we do. Uh, and um, I would target people who deserve it. And then you go, well, how do you know which people deserve it? We'll do like online polls who we can troll next. But I'd be a <laughs> professional troll and make videos about that. Just kind like, of I, I feel like insufferable Elon people on the internet. I feel like Elon Musk used to, before he kind of, went down his Twitter journey and the rest of it. I, I felt like he used to be a really good troll. He's, I think he still is. He yeah, still maybe. trolls. And I always wonder whether it's him or whether it's some, some team of people that's doing that. Cause he's definitely, he definitely fans of flames. He does, he's a, he's, he's a decent troll. Yeah. Some he's, people deserve it. Some people are just, I don't know. Some, um, some people are quite insufferable. I find, uh, is that subjective? Absolutely. Uh, I'll take it. I would be a professional troll. I like that. It's a little bit. It's, I don't know if you ever seen the Troll Man on. No, I think, I think he's on Instagram mainly. Um, I'll share a link to it below. He he's he poses a customer service for for retailers and generally retailers. It, it, they they might not always be deserving of it because they're they're genuinely kind of voicing concerns sometimes, but they are very funny in what <laughs> what he does. Um, but yeah, you should check that out. You might find it quite amusing i'll look it up tell me something about you that not many people know i mean you're fluent in mandarin i guess there's probably <laughs> many people who follow you online might not know that okay no, no I, I came in third in a in a lip-syncing contest once when i was like eight years old or ten years old i <laughs> did uh, i lip-synced a song by uh, springsteen i don't nice. know which song it was anymore but i had it on on vinyl i think we had to bring the vinyl record that to a cassette so we had to bring i came in third and the, the 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 there were two girls who came in first. I think they they lip sync Banana Rama, but I'm not sure. It's a long time ago. Was it air guitar as well? They did air guitar. I had a uh, I had a um, like a uh, what do you call it again? Not styrofoam, but a um, like like a, like a cardboard cut out of a of a, <laughs> a plywood. I think it was a okay. plywood cut out of a guitar. Did the bandana? Had the ripped off the ripped off sleeves. It was in his uh, in the in the eighties days when he still wore a bandana. I'm actually looking at the Springsteen record over here. Uh, I was a big fan. Still, I'm a big fan, and I hope to go see him this year and uh, show my girlfriend she's never seen Springsteen. And Springsteen in itself, even if you're not a Springsteen fan per se, 
is just an experience to to see. Have you ever yeah. seen Springsteen live? I haven't, but I saw was it Springsteen? I saw a social post this morning about how he never sells the front row of his concerts. Have you seen this? Is this Springsteen? I'm sure it's Springsteen. Oh, uh, it's possible. And he's he got that saying, golden circle. He picks them or something. Yeah, because he's like, I don't want the people just because they've got the money and uh, to be buying out the front row. He goes, I want the fans. So nice. apparently what he does is he never sells out the front row. And then we'll, I guess it's probably common knowledge now. So people probably try and game the system. But I think what he used to do was go to back row or get the stewards to go to the back of the, the theater or wherever and go, you've been, and just pull them up to the front. Right. Nice. And because uh, that's what he wanted, he wanted the people who were prepared to spend all that money and have the worst seats just to see him to be the ones at the front who really get the most good, out of it. Good for him. Good for him. I'm he's sure uh, that's Springsteen. There's probably someone listening to this going, the, "That's not Springsteen." It's yeah, <laughs> well, it might not be, but I mean, he's he, he's had this image of like the old American boy for so many years. Uh, and and the funny thing is, if you um, he's got Springsteen on Broadway, it's a series of shows he did. Uh, which is really good. He's an amazing storyteller. I've learned a lot of my storytelling from him. Just just listening to him tell stories about growing up and stuff. Okay. But now he's old. He's 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 almost seventy. He's around seventy somewhere. He um he's got the Springsteen on Broadway, which is an amazing show. If you if you haven't listened to it, is I, it I, him I, in it or is it a, like is a it, he's, he's in it? Yeah, he's he's okay. basically on Broadway uh, doing songs, but then telling the stories around those songs about okay. where the song came from and talking about his family and his growing up and what's interesting is he he admits there he's now he's a bit older he's going like look i've made a career of looking like the old american boy that knows all about muscle cars he goes like i've never repaired a car in my life i talked about kind of being blue collar worker working for the man i've never worked a day in my life i, I just played in the band you know like that yeah and he's he's being very honest because he gets criticized seeing seeing like saying he's he's getting criticized by people who say well it's easy to pretend you're an old american boy and we've got like hundreds of millions of dollars like this, but you know, I, I think he's a genius musician. He's a great storyteller, a great narrative song writing where he looks at things through other people's perspectives as well. Yeah. And if, and if you haven't watched, if you ever get a chance, just go watch him. He still has like three and a half hour concerts, which is unheard of in, in, in live music. And he is, uh, I, I'd say it like this. I've watched Springsteen a couple of times. And I've seen Buddy Guy, who's a blues guitarist. And Buddy Guy plays smaller audiences. Springsteen can, can just command 80,000 people stadiums, you know, like that. But yeah. what both of them do incredibly well, particularly Springsteen, which I think is brilliant. Springsteen can look at an entire audience of 80,000 people, but you think he's speaking to you. So you get that feeling that you're there and he sees you and he talks to you. Now, whether that's learned, whether that's all a gimmick, probably is because it's a business, what they're doing. If you play 150 gigs a year, yeah. but it's a very special feeling, which I don't think you get with many concerts. And it's a real... Uh, I think it's a real skill. So even if it's just for that, if you ever have an opportunity, you will not be disappointed. Okay. I shall check out Ticketmaster and see when he's uh, next in town and uh, get on that. Let's talk about pivotal moments in your life. What would you say has been one of the most pivotal moments? I think one of the most pivotal, pivotal moments in my life is taking on a job in an innovation agency. So I worked in Beijing that time I worked for a small consultancy. I did some, I did training and facilitation, and I was approached by an innovation agency in Shanghai and London, New York, to in different places, but particularly for for the Shanghai office because that's what I said before. Yeah. You want somebody creative with a bit of business experience that can do this in Mandarin. I think that has been 
well, one of them, one of the most pivotal moments, because I would not be doing what I do now if it hadn't been for that at all. I don't think I would have had my YouTube channel up. Ah, maybe I would have, I don't know. But I, I don't think I would have done all the work because I think what happened was when I worked there, it was a, a, a genius company with very interesting characters like like Andy Reid. That's where I met Andy Reid. Andy Reid was my uh, mentor, actually, when I first came in. Okay. And um, we just had we just had a really cool, really close team of just just characters, like interesting people, the people you want to have at your dinner party. And yep. I think that was one of the almost requirements in our team. Like, is this person a good dinner party guest? Like, are, are they fun? So can they kind of be fun? Are they like effusive energy? Can they bring people along? Can they engage people? Like, are they like that? I think that was one of the requirements. So we were in a, in a team of people like that who were all, I felt all very um, caring and very sharing, which I really enjoyed. And I think that kind of bonds, talking about the band or the team before we had yeah. that and then learning that way because I think when I was there, I just learned so many new things, so many new techniques, so many new models, so many new kinds of clients, ways of looking at things, uh, selling stuff. I had very little sales experience. How do you sell a kind of consulting services rather than a physical product? Yeah. I think I learned so much from that. I got a lot of confidence and I think a lot of that is uh, right or wrong. I think if I look back at it now, I think I had a level of confidence which was not always justified, as in I think I was quite naive in the way I looked at things in the beginning, but it got me on this trajectory uh, to where I'm now. And I'm very grateful for the people who gave me that opportunity. Um, as, yeah, that I think was one of the biggest positive impacts, at least of the last decade or so, decade and a half already. It's been a while. Was it tough? in china being non-chinese i mean they're, they're kind of i guess semi-famous for being quite uh what's the word i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but they're not always big on outsiders being in and did, did you ever oh as in um insular you mean quite insular yeah yeah no not at all actually okay. i think not at all look once you speak a language uh and you speak it well is that um, you proving yourself to them is it you think no, it just breaks down barriers. It's just, it yeah. makes everything so much easier because let's think about it this way. Probably 80 something percent of all problems you're going to have. Let's just say, let's take business. 80% of all problems you're going to have in business are probably tied to language in some way or another. Communication, let's put it like that. Yep. And I think by learning the language well and therefore having a decent understanding of culture, what things mean and manners and etiquette and humor and connotations, just by having that, you can easily break down the barriers. I, I like to think that I'm just easy to connect with in the first place. But like even as, as a foreigner, because clearly I'm not Chinese. It doesn't matter how well my Mandarin is, how well I can cook, I can read and write as well. It doesn't matter. I will always be a foreigner. Whereas in the Netherlands, so my girlfriend is Singaporean Chinese, going around the Netherlands, people at first will assume she's Dutch, even though she looks Chinese. Okay. As in because... Well, we have Dutch and all from all kinds of nationalities. China, not so much. China is still a very homogenous society, but the yeah. majority is Han Chinese. So clearly, I'm 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 a, a foreigner. But I think the real outsider comes from when you live in an expat compound with an expat job and you don't speak the language. It's too easy to get the us versus their mindset, which just does not help at all. Yeah, a lot of misunderstanding comes from that. So, your question was it tough? No, I was I went there in my 20s i was young uh i i think my first job was i worked in a bar as a dj and i kind of 
got paid in drinks. I didn't even get paid money. But I just enjoyed being outside with people. I'd be like the only foreigner amongst all Chinese, therefore learning the language incredibly well. Because like with English, there is the book English and then there's the street English, which is very different. Same yeah. in any other, other, uh, any language around the globe. So I didn't find it hard. I think it gave me a, a massive appreciation. I think because we're quite young, I find it quite easy. So a lot of my, I would consider close friends are Chinese. So no, I've, I've never felt it was tough. China overall is tough as in, you know, pollution's tough. Understand that you're in a country where at the end of the day, people can have you locked up for all kinds of stuff is is definitely real. I think it's it's changed a lot in the last few years. There's more populism. There's more xenophobia happening now in China. I think it's mm-hmm. all over the world. But when I lived there, like in the 90s and the zeros, not at all. It was just this happy-go-lucky. Everybody got along. And interestingly, almost everybody I know uh, in China, some still live there. They all speak Mandarin. doesn't matter whether they're French or Nigerian or, or, or Canadian. They would all speak Mandarin to some level. So there was definitely a certain pride to learn the language and try to blend in as much as you can. And uh, So I didn't struggle with that at all. I actually had a pretty easy time. I made okay. friends easily. I got around pretty easy because, again, I can read the signs. I can, if you get pulled over by a police officer on my motorbike without a motorcycle license, I could talk my way out of stuff like that. So I, I didn't find it hard at all. Okay. That'll teach me for making assumptions, won't it? Sure. Um, the next question is about habits and practice. Is there a tiny habit or practice that has had a positive impact on your life or work? Or one that had no impact. I give well, both. I kind yeah, of okay. I threw that in as a sort of a, a follow up, but actually the people keep okay. asking, <laughs> keep saying no. So maybe you could change it. Change it. I don't know. A, a tiny habit or practice that had a positive impact on your life or your work. I read this in a book years ago, and this is so simple, uh, like making the bed and getting dressed. When you work for yourself. When I first worked for myself, I'll never forget this. I left the innovation agency for a couple of reasons. Started working for myself. The first three months, uh, I was working with uh, with a, a lady who left with me the same company. We kind of set up some work together, so we were working on a couple of things. Mm-hmm. And I remember just just going, "Hey, shall we write proposals? Or shall we just have like gin and tonics at Tuesday three o'clock?" And that was so easy because I didn't have to go to work. So it became kind of hanging out just in like swimming trunks by the pool because it was warm in Shanghai in those days and just having drinks. We didn't do anything. Yeah, There was no structure to our days, which was fun for a couple of weeks. But I was like, no, we, can, we can't, can't keep doing this. So one of the habits which I took up then, which I haven't really changed, is just make your bed, get dressed, and you know, get ready to go somewhere. Like pretend you're going to so like imagine somebody calls and says, can we meet for a coffee now to talk about something? Yep. Be ready for that. I think that that's really help it's a simple thing but it, it just helps with that whole getting some kind of structure in your day particularly when you work for yourself and nobody's going you need to do this which you know what mm. that's like that's really are, helped are you a disciplined person generally it depends i think i'm very disciplined with certain things i don't think i'm disciplined with others like like you i've got projects i'm like oh man i've been meaning to finish this for weeks now i just haven't done it yeah. so no uh, I do have a pretty strong, uh, my willpower is fairly strong. So I'm, I am much, much into like, I am going to do this and let's do this. And usually just wager a bet. That's just the easiest way for me to get something done. <laughs> I, th- I, I think discipline will 
discipline will only get you so far. It's like willpower. There's willpower, discipline, and structure. I think you yeah. need all three. So discipline in itself, okay, that means you're willing to go by a certain structure, by a predictable pattern. Yeah, motivation, all that stuff, that's great. But motivation is like a, it's like a turbo boost on a car. It's, it's out pretty quickly. You, you, you need something yep. to sustain that. So I think you need all three. And the structure comes from getting up basically at the same time every morning, make my bed, have coffee at the same time, quite predictable things, mm. uh, which really help me. And then every now and then I just need a bit of motivation. I need motivation by somebody saying like, hey, have you done that thing yet? And I'm like, oh shit, I haven't done it. Okay, I'll do it now. Yeah. Sometimes I need that. How about you? I, no, I'm very similar. Are you disciplined? Very similar. I, I can be, and I also can be very ill-disciplined. And it depends in, depends what it is we're talking about. Like, I have a very strong willpower. And if I'm saying I'm going to do something, I will do it. But at the same time, I'm very susceptible to just thinking, oh, I can't be bothered to do that. I'll go on YouTube for half an hour. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's five o'clock or whatever. Don't we all? But I think it's interesting where you said about making your bed and, and going for a walk. I kind of, I don't know if it was the same... I don't know where you'd have been during lockdown. Would you been in Singapore still? Maybe Singapore, yeah, yeah. But like during lockdown here, when everyone was sort of went from being totally office based to going right now, you're in, now you're working from home. People were doing this. It was a massive deal to get up and get ready and and go for a walk or something around your local area. The, the, the essentially your commute. Yeah, and it was for the same purpose because people were. I mean, I was equally as guilty of this. I still do sometimes today. Like, you, you get out of bed. I'll always make my bed. But there'll be days where you're sitting in your dressing gown still at, at I don't know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon because you've just rolled downstairs. Or, I mean, it's kind of hard. It's good in one sense. I, either my wife or I take the kids to to school. So you kind of got to get dressed for that. Uh, you can't really rock up in your dressing gown to the school. But if it's yeah. my wife who takes them, they there is a slight chance I could still be in my dressing gown at two o'clock, like just, you know, depending what I'm working on. But I think I've been there. Yeah. So it's a long winded way of answering. I can be disciplined. I can be uh, very single minded and very focused. Um, But I'm also probably the world's greatest procrastinator as well. If it's, if it has potential. So, yeah, I've can I say something about procrastination because it's something that I struggle with, and and most people do. By the way, it's it's yeah, very yeah. common. Oh, I know. It's it's nothing new. I think people are ashamed of it. I used to be ashamed of it a bit because I I felt this whole. Um, I give you an example. So during twenty twenty, <clears throat> I'm in Singapore. Uh, I lost eighty five percent of my revenue overnight because I work typically on bigger projects that are a bit further out. Yeah, which means that in a time of, you know, oh snap, something changed. Most people focus on shorter term things, keeping yeah. the lights on, which is completely understandable. So my kind of work usually takes a back burner right away, uh, which is tough for me because that means that you know my business suffers. And w- what will happen is I had this whole, but I have to do something because this comes from a, a people might see it as pessimistic. I, I really believe this whole, nothing, nobody's coming to save me. I'm going to have to do this myself. Whether I sit here and cry about it, like nobody cares. I'm, I'm a true believer of that. Like as Gary Vee would say, nobody gives a fuck about your feelings, bro, or something like that, which I kind of agree with him on that one. It, it doesn't. No, it really doesn't. So I'm going to have to do it. But then what would happen is I would start doing stuff for the sake of doing them. As in, yep. I felt like I had to make so many hours 
behind my screen or else I was not being productive because I just lost my business. I now need to pay my bills. Singapore is, is a very expensive place. And being a foreigner in Singapore, I have zero support, as in zero government support or anything, which is fine. I'm not complaining about that, but that's just the reality. So what would then happen is I would try to take on as much as possible, but it would have the exact opposite effect. I would be procrastinating more because I'm trying to structure my work and be and being productive and efficient with things. But it would just get in the way now, but end up procrastinating more spending more hours doing nothing, so feeling worse because I haven't achieved anything. Mm -hmm. I'm tired because I did make some kind of really long day with like 12 hours looking at my screen, but but I didn't get anything done. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to reframe how I look at procrastination because sometimes in my world, I'll happily spend a whole morning writing one email. Now you could go, well, that's a bit silly, spending three, four hours writing one email. Yeah, but if that one email gets me the next 30% of my revenue, which in my case can happen for bigger projects that we do, yeah. it's worth the while. And that comes from, I think it was Sir Bernard Shaw who got really depressed that his books were bombing. They weren't doing well until he reframed it and said, look, maybe you have to write 99 pieces of crap to write one bit of genius. And let's just mm. focus on that. Um, so I'm, I'm reframing it a bit. I'm looking much more at like, have I achieved this week or this day? Kind of that, that one thing. Even if it's that one thing, that's fine. And whatever I plan to do, I just half it anyway. If I'm yep. if I'm planning to do three, I'll go like, let's just, let's just do two. Because I'll, I'll probably overestimate things and YouTube will get in the way and I'll walk to the coffee place and I'll meet, bump into somebody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think and I get right. more I think, done. I think procrastination gets a bit of... A bit, I think it depends how you focus on it and how you deal with it and how you embrace it sometimes. So I, I used to get very frustrated that I would procrastinate and then get to the end of the day and hadn't done quite as much as I'd expected. And like you, I used to overthink what I was going to achieve. And therefore you put this like inherent pressure on yourself. And then you throw in a couple of YouTube videos and a bit of doom scrolling on social media. And then all of a sudden you like, you feel really sick with yourself, right? You're like, you know, and you sort of start beating yourself up about it. And so what I started to do was like you, because humans are very good at, what's the word, doing, thinking they can do more than they can. Um, I actually started building like procrastination time into my day. I thought if yeah. I'm going to do it anyway, I might as well set aside half an hour for, to, to YouTube, watch YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I think that depending what you're watching, that's not a wasted half an hour. A lot of people think, you know, it's a waste of time sometimes, but a lot of my YouTube viewing is, I guess, educational in some regards, or at least productive, I don't know. But I Same. found that once, yeah. once I started building that into my day, going, right, if you're going to procrastinate anyway, screw it, just put some time towards it, then you feel a lot better, right? Is that, a is, that time? A is that a Pomodoro timer? You're something like up? that. It's just, just a little timer, right? That's all it is. So set your time to something. Yeah. I do short bursts. I do like the whole 20 minute thing. Yeah. 20 minutes and then go, okay, get to do something, do another 20 minutes if I have to. I, I think I think beating yourself up, up over it is really not useful. At the same time, the flip side is if you completely let other, at least for me, let all these other things take over your day because I've done that as well where I'm I'm too loose in it. And that's, that's where the structure comes in. Like you yeah. said, maybe it's setting a time uh, I've just noticed that for me, doing fewer things but doing them better really helps. Yes. Um, so I'm, I, 
so to, to your follow-up question, like the, a tiny habit of practice that did not had no impact, buying productivity books. I bought so many productivity books, like you know how to get stuff done and stuff. Never read them, never use them at all. Pomodoro is one of the few things for people who don't know what that is. It's just using a timer, a little alarm clock that says ten minutes to do this, thirty minutes to do this, and then stick to that time. But really, not beating yourself up over things like that and just focusing on kind of the overall getting something done and just doing fewer things. I, I, if I don't, for instance, I would never do more than two meetings in a day, exceptions aside. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Yeah. I'll take a morning for a meeting in the afternoon and people say, well, your meetings won't take that long. That's true, but you have to get to a meeting. You have to get ready for a meeting. Hopefully yeah. you've got, you're somehow prepared for whatever you're doing. Then after that meeting, something will come out of that meeting probably, right? You either have yeah. to send something, read something, do something, sign something. And you already have that time. And then people say, well, well, what if you're done in two hours? You got two hours left in the morning. I'm like, can you not find something to do? They go like, yeah, I have a lot to do. That's, that's exactly funny why. you say that, right? Because people people think of it as a bad thing. Yes. That you, you're they not think, doing something. Yes, Whereas they think you have to do something now, to be good. Yeah, yeah, but particularly now, I mean, how much of your job is thinking, right? If someone comes to you and says, Yuri, we need to fix this problem. You're not automatically go right. This is a solution. You need to think about it. Yeah. It's amazing how many people like. And for you, it'd be different to how I would do it. But it might be that I go right. I'm going to go for a walk, or I might go and have a lie down on the sofa and just close my eyes and think, or whatever. But it's strange how many people would view that as a as a negative thing. Yeah, slacking, which is yeah. which is absurd if you think about it. And I think a lot of that has come from working online. Think about it. You get on a call, you get straight into it most of the time. Yeah. All right, guys, first point in the agenda. I'm going to pull up my slides a week. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. But before, the banter at the, at, the, at the coffee machine, you know, yeah. the, the little walk from office A to office B where you have a chat with somebody, that little little joke you crack at the end of whatever. Like, all that stuff has kind of disappeared a bit, and it feels that this new, and I mean, and hustle, hashtag hustle porn is not helping either. Everybody thinking that the way to live is just to be on the grind and have a podcast and a channel and a business and be a functioning parent. Oh, come on, it's a bit unrealistic. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is as well. Although, yeah. Well, it is. I guess it depends how you structure it. Depends what you want from it, right? I mean, it is. But it's, but it's also it's also with, with input. We talk about kind of YouTube and the things that come in. There's a lovely thing, which uh, I picked up again. That's how why I watch YouTube or books. I, I have this whole thing, like if I buy a book that's 20 bucks and I get one thing out of it, even if it's one quote or one something, that to me is worth 20 bucks. Like I don't yes. care about, even if I don't read the whole book. So I'm very happy with that and I'm, I'm content with that. I watch Hassan Minaj. I don't know if you know who that is. He's a mm-hmm. stand-up comedian. He has a show called, uh, I think it's called Patriot Act, where he talks about controversial topics. And he talks about kind of the doom and gloom of the world. And he, he makes a really interesting point at the end. He says, well, there's a million problems going on in the world and it's too easy to get to get worked up over all these problems and a lot of them are, will not be in your, within your control anyway. Yep. And he says, he says I, I allow myself to have kind of five things I get worked up about and the other ones I don't. So he says, for instance, climate change, I don't worry about. He says, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm saying I'm not going to get on, on a high horse on, uh, about those kind of topics. I'm not going to get riled up over those things. And I think that is such a genius thing because, yeah, I think exactly what we just described, it's all overwhelm. And I, yes. I've definitely 
notice myself just being overwhelmed and reacting to things around me, too much stimulus, too much stuff, too many social events, too much video, but I shut out things more. And I think a younger generation does that better automatically. We might see that as, oh my God, they're so rude and they're just ghosting people and it's clicking away. Yeah, because I think they, they, they were raised in a very different time yeah. with this crazy information I wouldn't say overload, but there's amount of information which I don't think the human brain is ready for. It, anyway. is, it is an overload. I mean, imagine when you were at school. I mean, how many? Like, I, I'm not scientific enough to know anything about this, but the amount of neurons that are getting triggered in your brain every day at school when when we were at kids, compared to now, yeah, it's like it's like an atomic bomb going off in a kid's head every day. All the time. Because, yeah, yeah. So they have to learn how to filter. I'm sure their brain is. I'm not, clearly, I'm not a brain brain surgeon or like a neuroscientist, but I'm sure it has an impact on on how the brain not works because the brain will work the same way, but how they process that information. It must mm. over time that it must change. Yeah. It has to. I mean, this this amount of of stimulus and stimuli coming at you is not the same, and I think um, it it's too easy to get kind of. Um, to, to let that guide you where I think making more conscious decisions and I'm, I'm still learning it's a battle every day to turn certain things off or to yes. be conscious to say, I saw that article. I've got a reaction to that, but you know what? I'm, I'm not going to respond to it because I need to do other things and that's okay. I don't, I don't think we, we have to have a point of view about everything either. I used to think that I had a point of view about everything. No, no, you don't. I, I'm happily. I'll there's happily plenty say of other people know. out there will have a point of view for you. Exactly. Right? You yeah. If there's one thing we don't lack is a point of view, and and, and often an, un, an uneducated and uninformed point of view as well. So I'm not going to be part of the noise. I want to be part of the calm. Uh, but to do that, I need to do that for myself first. Yeah, that, that's why. That, that's why I turned off all the notifications on my phone from from news sources. Same. Because it's just it got to a point. I was like, I used to have an Apple Watch, so it was all connected and. Oh, yeah. like every 20 minutes my wrist would be buzzing with this a stressor and I thought why am I doing this why am I like a it's taking me out of whatever I was working on but I'm invited inviting in this like thing just to annoy me so yeah yeah strange isn't it it is let's talk about superpowers yeah I believe everyone has at least one of some description what would you say is yours I thought about that one and I, I, my initial one was like, I don't believe in superpowers, but I think it's just kind of muscles you can develop over time. That's why I don't believe in talent that much either. Based on what I've read about it, talent versus kind of nurture versus nature. I think you can work on stuff. But if there was something where I could go, hmm, uh, let's say we had a bet about something and I had, had to put something on the table with which I could beat you at whatever game it was, some kind of superpower, I think it would be disarming people regardless of where they're from. Kind of just making i was going to say making people feel relaxed and maybe that's not the right way to express it i think by connect i think i can connect with people and almost anybody i couldn't believe well, that by the way just from chatting to you i mean for those listening this is the first time we've spoken and it you're is very very i don't know there's a charisma there very likable you're very friendly like i feel like we've known each other for years which i guess oh, is the point of what you're making right that's kind of say yeah i I, but it's it's not a it's not a deliberate thing I do. So it's not like I've I've watched like videos that say okay. So when I first meet Chris, I'm gonna say this, and then I'm gonna crack a little joke to build some rapport. Yeah. And then I don't think about it that way at all. My mom told me when I was five, six, seven. My dad told me the same thing. Even at that age, I I would easily adjust my language at a very young age to suit 
the language of the other person. Now, that, that could be appeasing, that could be, I don't know how you would describe that in a psychological, through a psychological filter, but it was definitely a, I would recognize that somebody's different. So say an, older, an elderly lady versus somebody, another kid who's five, and I could adjust my language, even at that age, to, to step, in, step, step into yeah, step into their comfort zone where they, okay. you know, I would talk about. I'd make shit up, by the way, but I would talk about anything. <laughs> but just being able to to recognize that and to be able to go through those filters uh, and, and go through those gears, I think I've I've always had that. I don't know why that is. I, I do remember my dad at one point saying when he said when I was a bit young, he was a bit like, look, sometimes I would think about bigger problems in a very mature way, where he was a bit like, you're five, you shouldn't have to worry are, about those things. Are you are you the your brother I'm the youngest sister, one. I'm the youngest yeah one. it's funny you say that because my youngest daughter we've only got two but okay there's definite similarities but you just said then about the the my wife's convinced that my daughter's an, an old soul oh interesting why did she think that what does she do to, that makes your wife think similar that similar to what you, you the that? way she just talks I mean she's only she's gonna be three in a couple of weeks but it's just and as a parent you sort of compare I mean you know our, our uh, scientific experiment is you know, two kids. So you, you, it's a very small sample size and you're basically comparing one with the other. Yeah. But it's just things she talks about and phrases she uses and, and way she approaches things. You think, I don't know where you would learn what, what that sort of methodology. Like I said, she's nearly three. But the way she talks sometimes and the way she she kind of mirrors people as well. But I wondered if it was because because she's the youngest, she's fighting for that attention. So she knows Possibly. that she needs to go about way, things in a different way. And I wonder if it's the same for you. Possibly. My mum my said I almost started to stutter at one point because I couldn't get in between my brother and my sister. Because yeah. so, they're, they're like six and five years older. So I would, whatever, I found a frog. So you're at that age where you kind of go, Mom, but we kind of, so, uh, so, this, yeah. uh, but then outside, and <laughs> my mum would go, just breathe. It's your time. You, you get your air time. Wait for your sister to finish. Maybe it is that. I, I don't know what that is. And I don't know whether this is superpower or not. It, it's it's worked in my favor, but it's not something I'm very uh, deliberate with. And I would never kind of teach that to other people. I think you just, I think if you're generally well, that, curious. That's what a superpower people, is though, right? Where it's natural as opposed to maybe, yeah. forced or, or learned or something. Because, But I guess it is a superpower because if you go into a meeting with a potential client or girlfriend, whatever, that's, that's a gives you that head start, I guess, on, on other people that probably don't get that. It does, and you're know, getting back to your question before about was it tough living in China? I think if you if you if you know how to disarm people a bit, and you can you can yeah you, you can you can break through the, the armor a little bit, and just being able to connect with people, which makes it very easy and kind of non-threatening for them. Uh, I think that just really helps. And you know, look, just just being kind and. Be kind to people and have a smile on your face goes a long way, yeah? And in a sense of humor, be a bit cheeky about stuff, let people laugh about stuff. I remember when I first moved to China, I, um, uh, I had a lot to drink, which I never do, by the way. I only did it once in my life. And we, we were going to go out onto Tiananmen Square. And this is when I was first in Beijing. I met somebody in the, in the pub. We went a whole night, daylight, four or five o'clock, the sun came up the next morning. And this guy goes, have you ever been to Tiananmen Square yet? Because I was new in China and I've never been. So he goes, let's go. And there happened to be a marathon going on around the, the, the square, around the main streets. So we were not allowed, allowed to get onto the square. So first we crossed the road. We didn't see it because there were not all runners there. It was kind of a mm. quiet point between runners. So we were kind of whistled back by some, by some police officer. It was like, excuse me, the square's closed. Please go back. 
and we had a couple of drinks. Like, oh, let's try another spot. So we walked on a bit. We tried it again, and another cop kind of whistled it again. So then this whole group of runners came by. I said, let's go. So as they came by, we started running with them <laughs> onto the square. And you could see the cop, he whistled again, but he, he he broke character a bit. He broke that sternness, and he started laughing as well. Like, you fucking idiots, what are you doing? Something like that, which showed me that you know, behind that same facade of people that can look quite intimidating, particularly in all the media, if you grow up about China and how Cold yeah. War and communists... They're just people as well. Yeah. Most yeah. people are just trying to do the best they can with what they have. And if you know that, and that's why I don't fear people either, because at the end of the day, most of our drivers are not that dissimilar. Mm. It's, it, it maybe is, is manifested in a different way. I think by seeing that just really, yeah, it just helps. It was a fun moment. It was one of these cool, cool kind of stories. I'm like, oh, see, you're not that tough. You, you're like me. You've got a sense of humor. You <laughs> saw that was funny. How far did you make it in the run? Oh, he's, he's like, stop, please stop, go back. <laughs> All right, we'll go. <laughs> oh, well, I wasn't in the state for, to run much anyway, so it's okay. Oh, it's just a couple of steps, but it was funny. And also we were like tricked out in going out gear. I still had like bleach blonde hair and nice. you know, wearing my ethnic skate shoes and stuff. I didn't really look like a runner, so. Nice. You mentioned, I can't remember what you said there, just about soapboxes or things that annoyed you. What, what topic is guaranteed to get you on your soapbox? I looked at that one. I really like that question. Actually, what gets me on my what gets me on my soapbox is um, I I did a uh, a podcast a couple of years ago. I have a podcast called The Rebel Rules. I've, I haven't done much with it the last couple of years. I did it as a, as a, like one season. I might do more seasons. It's all about people breaking the rules. Basically, people who go against the grain, people who go off the grid. And one of the things I talk about is uh, I call them LinkedIn sufferable. <laughs> People on LinkedIn who, are, who I find extremely, extremely insufferable. I will go on a soapbox for that. Just the the level of, um, I don't know, the, 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 the lack of self-deprecation, the, uh, I, I would almost say take, narcissism. Take themselves I, too seriously, that kind uh, of stuff? Way too seriously. And, and yeah. then if you look back at their backgrounds, like you haven't even done that much. So you're just an inflated title speaking as if you're, you know, God send gifts to leadership or innovation or technology. <laughs> I can't stand that. If, if you do that when you're 17, I get that. When you're kids, but if I see, uh, you know, a grown-ass man or woman are my these, age Are these going that, straight I, to your list of people you're going to troll? Uh, they, they would totally, because I think you should. So I have a very simple principle. Uh, it's a, a boxing principle. So I used to train different forms of kind of uh, fighting. And the boxing principle is, Hey, if you have a big mouth and you, you think you can do something, get in the ring. It's easy to say that certain techniques will work. Yeah. Show us. So it's the same with these kind of people. I think if you get out there on a big platform and you make grandiose claims about yourself, do not be surprised if somebody calls you bullshit. Mm -hmm. uh, do I have to do it? No. <laughs> but I, I just don't think it's... Uh, because people will say that LinkedIn is a bad platform or Facebook is a bad platform. I'm not on Facebook, but let's say LinkedIn. I don't think LinkedIn is a bad platform at all, but it's people like that that just create a just a more hollow, shallow experience rather than sharing interesting ideas. You know, they're just, you know, hashtag humbled, hashtag blessed to be given this award for, you know, they're like David Brent, you know, but David Brent is a comedic character who's hilarious, but they're real versions of that. That gets me on my soapbox, man. That's, that's something I find incredibly annoying and i'm the first one to um call them out but i i, tr I try to be uh i try to be nice in terms of constructive 
No, I think it's Ricky Gervais or Jimmy Carr that says, you know, I think it's Ricky Gervais. It goes, you know, don't attack the person. Attack what they do. Like, look at behavior. So I, I, I would not make it personal. Yeah. I would never say that somebody's an idiot or they have a receding hairline or something like that. I, you know, talk about the what they said or what they did. I think that's 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 fair. Uh, I think I think attacking people on whatever their height or something, I think it shows a lack of character on yourself. But yeah. hey, if somebody makes some uh, some weird ass claim, I, look. I had one a couple of weeks ago. Let's see if I can find on my on my screen over here. This now I'll give you an example. So basically, somebody I, I roughly know what it was. Somebody was given an award at one of these online publications. Okay. And just so you know, because I did a check on Instagram, it's one of these publications you can just pay for. Was it, hang on a second. Was it you I saw a post recently about the Forbes thirty under thirty, and said something about I? Oh, that no, wasn't you. Uh, maybe. But, they said something along the lines of, I used to be really impressed by the Forbes 30 under 30 until I realized yeah, yeah, you had that to was apply me. for it. That was me. Yeah. I think that was me. Oh, other people probably have done something like that. Yeah, same. You could pay for it, basically. Yeah. And this is another one. This is a magazine which which looks interesting. I don't know which one it was, like a Forbes or something like that. But you can just pay for it. Also, it's yeah. for the online version. There's a big difference between the print and the online version. Think about it. Yes. Print, you only have so many pages. Online, well, it doesn't matter how many you have. And this lady is some kind of leadership, something guru. Again, if you call yourself a guru, that has a level of, level of rank to it, which I can't even describe. <laughs> but she went on to say, uh, hashtag blessed, hashtag humble to be given this award, which again, probably paid for, uh, or an op-ed or something like that. But it's basically mm. her praise. She, she was praising herself. And she says, this is, this is what top artists must feel like, like when they get you know, inducted in the Hall of Fame. And I'm thinking, no, Beyonce. no, no, you are not Beyonce. You're not even, you're not even close. And it's ridiculous you saying this. And I, I fought very hard not to respond because I found it so ridiculous. Did I have it here? No, I can't find it. But it was something like that. It was her comparing herself to, let's say, the Stones. Or it's like, no, it is not the same. And it's it's insulting to people who really are, you know, big stars have been working on this for so many years uh so that that i just hate that i abs absolutely hate i can't stand how it. hard do you have to to fight to not respond to not respond yeah chris every day i have two buttons in front of me be an asshole or don't be an asshole most <laughs> of the times i pick don't be an asshole every now and then every now and then, i'm like i've got to say something and then very often it's people around me like don't do it there's no need for this. You're not getting anything out of this. I'm like satisfaction. When you have a bad night's sleep or around am with your petty. girlfriend or something, you're like, Rrr. that's right. I am petty. Sometimes I'm petty and it has to come out. But again, I, I you know, usually try to do it with uh, tongue in cheek. I, and I never think anything bad of the person. I see it as a kind of a either a narcissistic outcry or just a level of insecurity, which you know, I think is a whole different topic. Yeah, but again, I think it's fair if you go online. I found it, by the way. I think if you go online, you say that in front of if if you go if you go to Hyde Park or whatever it like Speaker's Corner, you stand Speaker's there. Corner, yeah. People are are allowed to respond, so that's the deal. That's the game. And if you can't deal with that, then don't do it. Same with boxing. If you don't want to be punched back by somebody, don't get in the ring. Simple as that. Do you know what? Though? So I think I think a lot of these people who find themselves in this position, who say like whoever that person was, I sort of feel like they're so unself-aware yes i think so too they just don't care 
Then again, maybe I'm maybe I'm and, not self-aware either. I mean, and going back to what we were saying earlier about they're the people who are putting themselves out there who are not caring. I mean, maybe she's at the very far end of the spectrum who's not getting any business as a result of it. I don't know, but maybe. Which 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 is the other level? Because I know yeah. people who pretend to be this you know platinum star coach speaker stuff and i i know who they work with and know what they charge like mm. you're you're not making that at all it's cool that you're online you're pretending like oh, i'm always booked out fake it till and, you make it oh i hate that anyway so this person I, I, I won't say the whole thing but basically somebody says seeing my name in x magazine has to be the same feeling as musicians get when they land the cover of rolling stone <laughs> and while i'm far from an adele or lizzo uh, I'm feeling just as blessed and awestruck. This is an honor reserved for very few authors that that, that, that is worthy of supporting. So not only, not, yeah, she just, she's elevated herself to a level, which I think is anyway. <laughs> so that's, that's my, I, I get so annoyed by that. Do I have to be? No, but I think, you know, you're going to have to stand for something and that's, that's one of them. When I, when they deserve I, to be trolled. I, this is why I love the soapbox question so much because people, <laughs> It's, it's it's sort of forcing that emotion when people really like genuinely get annoyed about stuff oh yeah, just, and i get annoyed by many things but again i don't allow myself to get it but many things i need to go this is not on your list of things you're going to get riled up about but this okay. is one of them and i have an entire an entire episode on this one the linked insufferable i called it nice all right so we'll move on then so to keep your stress levels in check nice thank you what's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever heard no one cares. No one cares. Uh, no one cares whether you succeed or not. And that sounds really grim. I mean that in the most positive way, because knowing that I can't rely on somebody else to do mm. this for me. Uh, my parents have passed away already quite a while back. I don't have any major kind of safety net. And as, as in, I've got a business, got some money in the bank, that's all good. So I'm worried about that. But at the end of the day, I'm going to have to do it. Uh, yeah. I don't believe that anybody's coming to rescue me. I don't think... I deserve anything. I hate that when people say this, they'll look at my YouTube channel and go, you deserve more subscribers. I'm like, I deserve exactly the amount of subscribers I have. It's as simple as that. If I create better stuff that goes to more people, I will see growth. I'm a, I'm a true believer of that. So this whole nobody cares is not to demotivate. I, it, it actually lights a fire in me because knowing that nobody else cares, it's like, well, damn it, I'm just going to have to do it myself, right? Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to have to care myself. And even if it's caring about the most tiny things that nobody else cares about, about the tea I made this morning or about you know this little cool little gimmick I put in the video, a little effect that I have, even if I'm excited about it, that's okay with me. I don't mind. Yeah. It's solid advice. And actually, you're, you're not the first person to say something along those lines. Nice. And this is... I mean, it comes back to what you were saying earlier about the YouTube thing, wasn't it? And putting content out there and putting yourself out there. No one cares. And as a result, that shouldn't stop you from doing it. Exactly. And if it, and listen, I, I am a victim of that. I'm not going to stand on my high horse and say that because I have for many years not done things because of that. And it took me a long time to realize it. But once you do realize it, it's quite empowering. I think it is. I think it's super empowering. And I think, as you talk about soapbox, not getting back to the soapbox, but the other thing I, that really annoys me is, is a victim mindset. 
Uh, As in, I can't do this because I'm that, or I've never had this because my dad never hugged me, or because I'm from this country, because I don't have that education. Sure, we're all dealt with different hand of cards. I understand that. It's not always fair, but everybody's got a chance to play that hand of cards as good as they can. And Mm. then being a victim is just not useful. I find it so unproductive and so unuseful. Then again, that's me. Somebody might say, well, it's easy for you to say because you're a white cisgender male, you know, in in the Netherlands. Okay, sure. (laughs) Fine. I I don't mind. No. But, yeah, no one cares. It's solid. I think it's... Yeah, so you're going to have to care and, and, you know, and and pay on the kindness to other people. I don't mean it in a, a, you know, I'm going to show care to other people. Um, be, be, the, be the change you want to see, right? I mean, yeah. but at the end of the day, you're going to have to do it. Like if, if, if you sit down in the corner, Chris, and you go, my podcast isn't working and I'm not growing as fast as I want, nobody cares because at the end of the day, your kids are going to come up and they, they're going to want to play and they want to do stuff. You're going to have to, you're going to have to get up and just keep going anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I find it very empowering. That's what I'm trying to say with this one. It's, it's supposed to be very, uh, it's supposed to be a way to simplify a lot of things and then to empower you to just go do it anyway. Yes. See where it takes you. Indeed. I, th- I, li- no, I think it's great advice. I, didn't, I think anyone who takes it badly is always going to take it badly because sure. that's yeah. the mindset, right? Yuri, if we spoke again in 10 years' time and you considered that that 10 years had been a really successful decade, what would have happened? Oh, uh, I, I'd say 10 years. Well, let's hope for at least a, a million subscribers. And everybody says subscribers don't matter. That's true. But I, wa- I want that plaque. I want that, that How golden. How many do you have at the moment? Let's check. I think about 8,000, 9,000. Okay. Let me see. Something like that. I mean, that's pretty good for... Eight, eight and a half, something like that. Quite a niche channel, right? That's why I'm going to open it up this year a bit more. I've just did Are a you? brilliant course brilliant course with a with the people from film booth in the uk a guy called ed lawrence a really good youtube course which goes very deep into analytics and understanding thumbnails and titles and it's hands on what's it called i'll say the best course i've taken it's called edutainers edutainers by film booth uh ed if you're listening to this well deserved you deserve a bit of praise for that course it was genius but it it, it got me to um restructure it was a good way for me to not throwing a hand grenade in what I have, basically go, okay, whatever got me here, it's not going to get me there. So it's time to change a bit. It will still be innovation, but it will be a very different kind of content. But anyway, we can talk about that more. So um, as much as subscribers don't really matter, I think it's just an, an, an easy one. I hope I hope the stuff I've created has helped more people, has made more people smile, put a smile on their face. And I hope in 10 years, I'll be almost 46. I'll be almost 56 by that time. I hope I'll have started my new career, which I've always said for my, when I when I retire, I want to be a male model that's old. You know those old male models, like nice yeah, white yeah. hair and a beard? Yeah. I want to be that guy. And that somebody said the other day, oh my God, that's really vain. I'm like, sure. But you know, the other thing that is, if that would actually be your goal, and I say slightly jokingly, but the more I think about it, it's kind of cool. It's a good push to stay in shape. It's a good yeah. push to kind of, um, one, do something new and something different, which is maybe a completely different career. And maybe my YouTube journey by that time may have may help me. I don't know. Uh, it's it's just a good reason for me to just go, okay, so something to do at, a, at another project, a whole different thing I can learn, which I think is going to be fun. I would love to be like in these magazines sporting, whatever, like a down jacket or something. Like, I think that's fun. <laughs> Did you see, um, I think it was Audi, 
who did it with the Father Christmas, where he was a trendy, good-looking Father Christmas, and he was in shape, and he had big shoulders. Is this an old one or a new one? No, I think it was... If it wasn't last year, it was the year Aldi before. or Audi? Audi, the car, not the okay. budget supermarket. Oh, 2020. Uh, I might be 2020. If you, if you type in Audi, Father Christmas, loads of stuff comes up. Okay. But he was basically trying to say Father Christmas is a bit classier and he's a bit... Uh, so he's gone from his, his reindeer and his sleigh to a, an Audi. Oh, okay. I can see it. He's a silver fox. Is that the Audi Grand Sphere concept car? That's it, yeah. Where he looks a bit like a Bond. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't I didn't know that one. Yeah, I'd love to go for something like that. I would love to check back in with you in 10 years' time and you just go, Chris, guess what? I've been on the cover of, I don't know, GQ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would, I would love something like that. And by the way, I've been very, I've been very uh, lucky. I have been not on the cover, but I've been in a men's magazine in Asia. It's like the GQ of of Asia. I think it's from Singapore, Malaysia magazine. And every year they pick uh, 10 guys or 10, 12 guys between the age of 25, 45 to be part of a campaign team. Basically, it's marketing wrapped in flattery. Like it works perfectly. They basically find a bunch of guys to say, hey, hey, Chris, uh, do you want to come to like 10 parties this year? We're launching like, it's usually cars, cigars, whiskeys, or typical kind of men's magazine stuff. Yeah. And all you have to do is show up. Just wear a nice jacket, get a glass of whiskey, whoever the sponsor is, and you just talk to models and just people like that. Take doesn't a couple of pictures. Like worst, doesn't sound like the worst gig in the world. It was a horrible year. It was a horrible year. <laughs> and that, by the way, and that was also because, you know, I used to take a lot of, lot of, lot of crap from my friends who would... Of course, kind of egg it on like, oh, he thinks he's special now because he's been in a magazine, Mr. Model, huh? like this. But the reality is what it's done is it's got me into, through that experience, again, like like a band or or, or sports, mm-hmm. I met like 10 really cool gentlemen, very different background, different nationalities, because we all went to these parties and like seven, eight of us are still talk to like in a week, on a weekly basis through that same experience. So I met this really cool bunch of guys. Uh, and yeah, we would just go to uh, whatever watch launches and car launches and just hang out. So I have a tiny bit of experience in the modeling world. I think I might be ready. I think it might be ready to be like uh, the, the Audi Santa of the future. You need to start documenting your journey on uh, on YouTube. Hey, I think I might be better for Aldi though. So if people from Aldi <laughs> are looking, uh, I'll be great because I speak German as well. So we can do this all in German for you, just nice. so you know. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to set a calendar reminder and check in with you in 10 years' time. Please do. Where you're at. 56. We're at the same age. <sighs> yeah. It's scary, isn't it? I don't think it is. I think it's exciting. Scary is the wrong word. I think for me, it's kind of disbelief that like when you're in your 20s, thinking about being 40 just seemed like such a I know. incredibly far, far, far away. So old. <laughs> and now like you, I'm kind of, you know, 50s not really that far away like, how did that happen but I, I used to work in a factory when I was a student I used to work in a uh, in a company called Alcoa They're like an aluminium company I used to do like welding and stuff and I work with all these big kind of factory working guys with big tattoos on their arms and stuff uh, pro- proper proper blogs you know and um, mm. I must have been like 17 and they were probably like 40 
something years old. Yeah. And at that time, I remember thinking they were so old. And I would just, just pick on them all day. Like, so what's it like being 40? Like, is it painful just walking to the toilet? Or like, how's your back? You look really out of shape. How's that receding hairline? And I remember they were all like, just wait. So you'll, you'll, you'll get it back. Yeah. And lo and behold, a couple of years ago, I, I um, worked on a project where I was the oldest one and I got exactly all the same stuff back. Like, yeah. must be really hard on your age to uh, get into that jacket <laughs> and things like that. Thanks. Thanks. Everything still, will come back to you. You still think you're cool, though, right? That's that's the. I, I try to be. You were saying, and I like working with younger teams, and you try and you try and think, you know, not even act cool, but you just act like you think is the right way to go. And they were. It isn't that old, man. It isn't yeah. that old, exactly. It's all relative. It's a, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay, Yuri. Final question. And you won't know this one because this was provided by a guest on Monday. What is the best lesson you've learned from failure? Hmm. That is a very, very good one. It's the best lesson you've learned from failure. It's a big question okay. to finish up on. Yeah, it is. Well, yeah, I, I would almost go back to like it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You know what? I am gonna go for that one. It doesn't matter. I think the best lesson I've learned from failure is that once you start seeing it as failure, it can really stifle you. And if you just see it as just something that's part of that journey, um, I think you can embrace it a lot more. And I've, fa- I've failed many times, as all of us have, and I've been very honest. I've, I've had to apologize for things I've said and done. Uh, I've failed miserably in decisions I've made. Uh, I've let people down, all that stuff, like everybody does. Um, I think I've leaned into it more than other people. Have you, have you learned to lean into it, or is that something that you've always done i don't i don't know because there might be somebody out there going like yeah you know you never apologize for this thing you once said to me or something there's probably something like that but there. i feel I, I feel like it's almost trendy now that to to fail right to learn to take your learnings from failure true i do think it's a bit it can be a bit contrived because again getting back to what we were talking about before i think there's a lot of people who will hashtag hustle hashtag pretend hashtag humble, to humble, hashtag humble fail failure humble brag right yeah. yeah i'm i'm i mean you know i totally failed i i missed out on a million dollar funding from this what they're trying to say is they got a million dollar funding for their idea or so i, I, I don't know i only got I, only, I was going to pretend but i only got one <laughs> yeah. i only got seven i think yeah good question i i don't i don't think i've, I've learned to lean into it i think it has come with a level of maybe Maybe honor, maybe, uh, what's the word, not diligence, the other word I'm looking for, integrity. I think okay. it's, it's, it's come with a level of integrity of, uh, even when it's tough, having, you know, having to apologize for things, as in going back. That takes real humility to go, I was wrong. Like, I, mm-hmm. I wronged you or I wronged this or I, I should not have said that as terrible. I should never have done that. That requires a level of humility. But I think that for me comes from, trying to do what's right maybe i don't know what that is maybe maybe sort of like self-abdication is that the word self kind of are you more susceptible to that doing what you do as in your job right well your job is to get people no no to to failing because your job is to try and get people to try new things or to change or yeah whereas most people's jobs are not that out there i guess or, or or there's an element of risk right with what you're doing that most people don't have maybe. on a day-to-day basis maybe i think i think part of it is also maybe part of it is also for 
the kind of work I do, the moment you're failing a bit and people are getting uncomfortable, to me, that is a good sign. That means we are we're somewhere new and somewhere different. So yeah. the worst thing I can have is where we come up with some kind of solution, some kind of ideas where clients go like, yeah, that makes sense. That's okay. That's not exciting. I'd rather have the, the, the group split into like, oh, this is the worst thing ever versus this is the best thing ever. I'd rather have that. And to do that, you, to do that you're going to have to fail and just fail fast. So I think for me, it's more of a it's kind of a, a, a badge of honor to fail stuff fast because that's what we tell clients. Yeah. But more importantly is is allowing them to do that you know how they say fail fast and fail quickly and stuff. I don't think you have to fail. I just think you have to learn quickly. And if you do that a couple of times, knowing that you're not going to get reprimanded for that or punished, mm. you can you can you can grow from that. Just just don't don't wait really long and make this massive mistake. Just do it a bit faster and deal with it faster. So stepping yeah. over things. Maybe maybe that's why. Good answer, Yuri. And a great way to finish this podcast. Good I want question. to thank you. It is a good question, actually. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of storing all these final questions because I think I'm going to do something. I'm not sure what it is yet, but I do like the way this format, of this podcast. But one of the downsides is when I meet someone such as your such as yourself, who I really enjoy talking to, I can't invite you back on because we've already gone through the ten questions. And the way I've got around that, or I'm planning to get around that, is these final question where the guest suggests one and obviously I'll ask you for one after we finish for the next guest I've now got a list of 25 questions oh, which nice. I could get you back yeah. on and go Yuri you know pick 10 questions from here so nice that's kind of my plan but um listen Yuri I want to thank you we've been talking for ages and I feel like I could have talked to you for another couple of hours and I wouldn't have even noticed but I want to thank you a lot for spending some time with me this afternoon. It's great to get to know you. It's great to hear your stories. And I've got no doubt in my mind when people listen, they're going to think it's a great episode. So thank you. Thank you for having me. No, my pleasure. Totally. Where can I send people? Anyone who's listening who'd like to come and say hi or check out your stuff, where's the best place for me to send them? Easiest way, just put in the magic sauce. That is sauces and hot sauce. The magic sauce, either YouTube or LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. You can okay. find me through that. Just Google it. Okay, and I'll link to both of those in the show notes and I'm definitely going to check out your YouTube channel can be in my procrastination list. So Nice. Thank you. <laughs> Yuri, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. That was 10Q Interview with Yuri Shoulders. If you made it to the end, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, as you could probably tell if you're listening to it. Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q Interview everywhere you may look. That's all from me for now. Make sure you've subscribed wherever you're listening to this. And if you wanted those bonus points, don't forget to leave a rating or a review. And the next 10Q interview episode will be live in your feed very, very soon. Take care.